It's time for another bisexual brunch with Lewis Oakley, Nikki Hodgson, and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So another uh, bisexual brunch. Um, We've got lots coming up. I'll tell you about what's coming up in in a moment. But I just want to pause for a second. Something I forgot to do um, at the beginning of the uh, first episode that we came back after the new year. And that was to um, pay a little tribute to Desmond Tutu. Um, I'm Anybody who knows me will know I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. Um, but I got to know, in a small way, Desmond Tutu over a few years. Interviewed him a few times. Um, and he had quite an impact on me, just as, just as an individual. I thought he was fantastic. He was great fun. Uh, he was a lovely chap. And I had the pleasure of interviewing him in 2007 for a programme that I used to do on the BBC. Um, which was the only sort of LGBT programme on the BBC at the time. And in that programme, he um, he actually apologised on behalf of the uh, Anglican Church um, for the treatment of, of um, LGBT people around the world. He said, I want to apologise to you and to all of those who we in the church have persecuted. I'm sorry that we have been part of the persecution of a particular group. For me, that is quite unchristlike, and for that reason, it is unacceptable. Uh, maybe even as a retired archbishop, I probably have, to some extent, a kind of authority. But apart from anything, let me say for myself and anyone who might want to align themselves with me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the hurt, for the rejection, for the anguish that we've caused to such as yourselves. So, you know, I just wanted to mention that because it was a, a special moment for me at the time and something that nobody had ever sort of done before. And um, Desmond Tutu, he was, a, he was an amazing character, wasn't he? You know, amazing. He, he was he was such a humanitarian. Like the things that he would say about how we should treat each other, and and the fun. I, I agree with you. The sense of fun that he had, which often religious figures never have a sense of fun. You always heard the giggle, didn't you? The giggle before yeah. anything else. And he was just so gorgeous. Like he had that amazing smiley face, and he brought all that energy. And anybody that's trying to help people live on Earth more harmoniously is good in my book. And I don't really care what they believe in. You know what I mean? It's like if they're doing a good job there, then I'm all in the Desmond camp. Yeah, no, De- <laughs> real real colourful character. And um, someone that will be, you know, sorely, sorely missed. So fantastic yeah. to um, have, um, I say, to have uh, connected with him. And sad that, you know, I mean, got to 90, did very well, got to 90, but um, sadly no no longer with us, uh, but made a huge impact. So it's a packed show coming up. We meet Joe, who was thrown out of the Navy for being bisexual. The authorities were on his tail for 20 years. With a bisexual personal journey story from Mike Rist in Boston. Mike's in a relationship with a gay man. And we'll be opening up a whole bi-pan debate later in the show. And we'll be checking in with the world's oldest bisexual in the South Atlantic Ocean. 190 and he's still at it. It's Jonathan, the blind tortoise. When I approach him in the paddock with the food, uh, because he can't really see me, he often pricks up his ears, which (laughs) a tortoise can't do. Um... 
I say, Jonathan, 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 like that. And, and then he starts uh, mouthing the air for food. I mean, she's <laughs> biting the air, actually. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Do you think you'll still be at it, 190, Nikki? Well, I don't know if Elon Musk has got anything to do with it, maybe. Uh, I don't think I'd want to be at it at 190. I, I feel like, you know, I've had a lot of fun in my years. Like, if I get to 190 and I'm still having sex, then what's left to do? What about you, Lewis? <laughs> oh, I definitely will. Actually, um, Laura and I had a really good conversation recently about our final wishes, and she wants to be cremated and I want to be frozen so they can bring me back in the future. So jump it. And I was like, what we'll do, we'll have your ashes like turn into a diamond and I can wear you as a necklace in the future. And if I struggle because I don't fit in anymore, I'll touch the necklace and you'll, you'll whisper the answers to me. And she was like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't whisper the answers <laughs> to you. <laughs> She'd watch you sweat yeah. from afar. Oh my God. I love that she said that to you. She's like, oh, not... Oh, darling. She's like, absolutely not. I'll let you suffer. <laughs> yeah, she, she's like, you're an idiot. Why would you want to go to the future be woken up in a world that you don't Absolute, understand and everyone absolutely. you know is dead? I'm with Laura on this. I do not want that happening. Well, so also, you know, if, you to do die, if you die in your wizened old body and then you wake up in this like cool new world and you're still an old gimmer... No, but if they haven't figured out a way to just, like, put me in a microwave and make me younger again, like, it's all going to be, like, technology is going to be wild in the future. It is going to be wild. I definitely want, like, what they, if I can't have that, I would like what they have in Superman, which is, like, they have these crystals and, like, they kind of do this hologram projection of people that have died and, like, they can still ask questions. So you give those to my kids and if I die, like, they're like, Dad, I I really want to know what Dad would have said about this. They have my But that is the real technology. Like, we've basically got that tech now. What? Yes, because that don't you remember Kanye West when he was married to Kim Kardashian got her a hologram of her dad for her birthday? Yeah, but it did. It, it was just a hologram. I mean, like it, it yeah, has wait, my consciousness the, downloaded. No, well, you yeah, but we're on the periphery of that technology. Well, it's exciting times, isn't it? See, I don't find it exciting. <laughs> I find it. I no, find I it, find it scary. I find it really? frightening. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, it's, it's changing fundamentally. What it. What it it's is to be a human, human. being. Yeah, I yeah. Thought Tra- transhumanism, exactly. Yeah, no, I thought bisexuals were supposed to love the sci-fi stuff. <laughs> I, I agree. Like, I, I would never want technology inside of me. All of this, like, oh, you could look up and access the internet. Absolutely not. I don't oh, care. No, none of like, that. None, none of no that. chips in my brain or any of that. Yeah, I don't want any of that. <laughs> well, no cognitive enhancers. I'll just stick to the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's focus on the stats. The latest stats, shall we, about bisexuality. Now, there's two lots of surveys come out, one in America and one in Britain. The one in America is specifically to do with stats around the prevalence of uh, different sexualities. The one in Britain is all about what we get up to in bed. Um, There is supposed to be a survey coming out, another study coming out shortly, about the numbers of people who uh, identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans as well um, from YouGov um, sometime later this year, I think. And so obviously we'll update you on that. But the statistics from America now show that more than half of LGBT Americans, 57%, now indicate that they are bisexual. That percentage translates to 4% of all US adults. Meanwhile, 21% of LGBT Americans say they are gay, 14% lesbian, 10% transgender, and 4% something else. Um, each of these accounts for less than 2% of US adults. But the... The trajectory is on the up still for bisexuality. Basically, that figure has increased. So what do we make of that? And is it going to change anything? 
well, that more people are coming over to the dark side and enjoying it. <laughs> but no, I mean, we just, we know that there are more bisexuals than we ever record, right? And there's always been in history. And because people have been so stifled in their sexuality, those numbers have never been accurate. And it feels like the, you know, some of the censorship around how people talk about sex is coming off. And so those numbers are going up. Do we know the ages of people that are coming out as bi? Is it younger people? Ash? It is generally younger, yeah. It's generally young. I mean, t- you know, it's it sort of, yeah, it, it, it sort of decreases as the age ages go down. But that, of course, doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't as many bisexual people in the older generation. It's just that they no. find it more difficult to admit it or talk about it, don't they? Absolutely. You know? It's just that confidence. But then hopefully if more people are coming out younger, there'll be less people coming out older for the right reason yes. in the future. But but the so, pro- but the problem with with that with it is of course is we've, as we always discuss is the fact that you know those people who are hidden are older they're the ones who've suffered for a long time haven't they you know and we need to reach out to them in, in, in many ways what do you think about those stats um, Lewis you're not not surprising obviously no not surprising encouraging encouraging that that pe- more and more people are, are feeling able to come out and be honest about about their attractions like you said it's still lots of work to do. I always kind of think with these stats, it's kind of like a yes and. Like, they're more bisexual. Yes and. Let's start looking at how we're supporting them. Yes and. Let's start looking at, you know, wh- what we can do to make people feel comfortable. You know, if people are coming out now, like, what what has worked to make them feel comfortable enough to come out? And actually, it's probably a lot easier to, um, to kind of say you're bisexual on a form that maybe doesn't even have your name on it than it is to maybe put it on your social media status or talk about it at work or even with your partner or on your dating profile. It's it's still a, it's a, such um, a messy situation, I think, um, yeah, these whole no, coming out figures. We're still in that situation though, aren't we, whereby, you know, we've got these figures coming out. They look, you know, amazing in a way, in a way that there's, you know, people are more, more and more people are, um, are saying that they're bisexual. Um, but the world doesn't seem to want to react to that, not in terms of giving more bisexual people more support, the media giving us more coverage. You know, there's, there's just, you know, it's like everyone seems to be quite nonplussed by it. I don't know why, but, you know, it, it's it, it, it's a strange one, isn't it? It also says on this um, on this, this study that um, they've they done some, um, some previous research about um, the whole area of prevalence, and it said that... Um, this is Gallup, by the way. They analysed... Uh, the analysis they had showed that bisexuals are much more likely to marry spouses or live with partners of a different sex than with spouses or partners who are the same sex as they are. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, um, I've seen I've seen similar research on that. I think that the one I saw a few years ago was 80% of bisexuals are in an opposite-sex relationship. Not because they have any preference, but just because, like random odds there's more straight people in the world than there are lgbt people yeah so it's just more likely to happen but yeah. also don't we think there's more social pressure like as if, if you are bi it's just easier as we always say to kind of conform and then get sucked into just get sucked into the norm on a way because that i know that research Lewis. it's from the pew research institute in america oh you it, do know your research yeah I, well i know some <laughs> of them you know more than me but i have like the odd one that i pop out and that is always one that people end up in these like long-term relationships and marriages nearly are always opposite sex couples. And apparently bisexuality is the most common LGBT status among Gen Z, millennials and Gen X. Love it. Basically. So 
So that so, so there they... is way more of us than we think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe it's just we're old school media. Not to not to judge what whatever media you're on, but maybe if we were to be on TikTok, like bisexual is just like the the main dominating thing. But because we well, watch the news yes. and the old school stuff. I know, we're just yeah, like, like so old like, fashioned. Like, I don't know. Are we just Victorian on our typewriters? Like, why is it so wrong? Do you know what? Like, actually, this is really good. Listeners, email us in if you are on TikTok or you see things trending about bisexuality that we are not picking up because I would love to know. And I have mm-hmm. got TikTok on my phone. If I look at it, but I'm like, oh, Nikki, you can't get sucked into this. You are way too old. <laughs> <laughs> by I the agree. way, that's a good idea. By the way, listeners. Um, Nikki had a rough night last night, and um, <laughs> they can't see you, Nikki. So it doesn't matter. And she's she, she's 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 what? Well, tell explain us how you look today, Nikki. I think you <laughs> In look my gr- own words. I think I think you look great, actually. But you know, I think I look like a pile of shit. Sorry, that's swearing. <laughs> no, basically, I look so glamorous yesterday. We started doing these brunches with our friends. Because we thought, oh, if we have a few drinks earlier in the day, we'll go to bed earlier. But all that happens is we end up staying up all night with our mates. So it's literally a 24-hour brunch. <laughs> and so, and, but that. then this morning I woke up in a panic at 11, like, oh my God, I've missed the podcast again. What am I doing? And then I got up and like let the dog out to have a wee. And then I was like, wow, look at you. Just caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. It's not pretty. Ash, could you give the listeners a, a visual description of what I look like? Um... She, she, she looks great, <laughs> to be honest. She's sat in a dressing gown. I'll tell you now, she's sat in a dressing gown. She's got her headphones on, obviously, and she's got her hair up. And uh, I don't think there's much difference, really, uh, to be honest. You got your glasses look great, and you look fine. I could tell you've not put any makeup on. No, I've got no makeup on. But that's fine. <laughs> you've not put any makeup on, and I need a scumbag. I can't be bothered. But she looks but great, doesn't she, Lewis? Looks fine. I think no, so. Lewis, yeah. Lewis, Lewis has seen me look a lot better. <laughs> But also, you guys are loves because I, I obviously am very comfortable with you because I wouldn't just do this for anyone. I wouldn't <laughs> show up looking this shit for anyone. See, so you guys are very welcome. <laughs> and you're in, the, you're, in a, you're in a Graham Norton-style red chair there as well. I love this chair. It's yeah. so power- empowering. Because <laughs> uh, nobody can flip it. I sit in it all the time, all day long on calls. A few more stats, by the way, just a little bit more. Women, apparently, are much more likely than men to say they're bisexual. I think we knew that as well. Men yeah. are more likely to identify as gay than as bisexual, while women are much more likely to identify as bisexual than as lesbian. So there you go. That's Ooh. quite interesting as well. This is in America, remember. This is American stats, yeah, yeah, yeah. not UK or, or global stats. But um, I think I don't think we're surprised by any of that, really. It's all to do with the social issues that are involved, isn't it, really? The reason people are like that in, in many ways. Um, mm. So just leading on from that, we're talking about those stats have come out and we know there's a more of a prevalence of bisexuality and it's great to see the stats proving that. Um, but there just seem to be a bit of... There's still not... I still think there's a little bit of a backlash underneath around doing anything around bisexuality. So... I've re- read recently um, a few things and heard a few things of people trying to have a go at people who term themselves queer or think of themselves as queer or bisexual or whatever, who happen to be in straight-facing relationships, um, as though they're sort of appropriating the gay side of things and they're sort of pretending, if you know what I mean. Do you know where I'm coming from? It's, it's like that argument that people, some people have which is wrong as far as I'm concerned about trans people trying to say that you know trans women are somehow appropriating 
you know, the female space and blah, blah, blah. This seems to be slowly being talked about as though as though more and more people who term themselves in inverted commas queer, i.e. on a spectrum or whatever, are somehow uh, invading a, a space, a gay space. And I think that's so dangerous. We've really got to stop that in its tracks, haven't we? Don't you think? I, I couldn't agree more. And I do use the term queer to describe myself because I it absolutely fits my sexuality and my identity. But I do sometimes catch myself in certain situations if I use the word people bristle because there's obviously a feeling of like, you're not queer. And it's like, I'm so queer. You've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you're a poet and you don't know it as well. There you go. <laughs> what, it's all coming out this morning, isn't it? <laughs> Should stay up all night more often. <laughs> what do you think, Lewis? So, so you mean... I, I, what angle are you getting at here? So are you talking about like people having an issue with us in the queer space or just if we identify as or we're not queer enough we're we're, we're sort of uh, go on you explain it uh, uh, nikki I, I find it very difficult to explain i explained it once I'll, i can't try again <laughs> well i don't know i don't know if i have compass mentors enough to explain it hang on it's sort of like yeah no you're right it's like people thinking that when we say we're queer <laughs> i can't say it hang on as you'll have to figure it out what is it that we have I'm straight privilege it. or that we're they don't think we're queer enough and we're taking up room. Oh, right, yeah. yeah That's not that. ours to take. Um, no, I get that. But, uh, this whole straight privilege thing, I think, which is just ridiculous. I think... I don't... I don't know. There is this kind of oppression Olympics that can sometimes pop up in, in, in the queer community that's like, oh, well, we've got it hard or, you know, new stats have come out, so we need the talking sick now. And you know what? There is space and time to, to talk through everyone's issues and everyone's thing and correct it in in the time we need to. Um, so I absolutely think, well, you know, if someone thinks that, oh, a bisexual, you're a bisexual, you're in a relationship with a woman and you've got three kids, like, get out of here. Like, you know, yes, it's like, actually, it's that. that's it's so that. rude. And it's actually, that. if you're not going to show me empathy, why the hell should I show you? Yeah, yeah that, it's, it's absolutely that. It's that when they say, well, you don't look like a bisexual. Well, you're not living the life of a true bisexual. It's like, I'm living my true life and therefore that is the truth. Yeah, but, and yeah. One of the things I really struggle with at the moment is I have got two kids. I have got another one on the way. I've got a full-time job. I am really struggling to pitch bisexual content at the level I used to before. And it's really stressing me out because I'm really aware that actually a lot of bisexuals get to my age, 30, um, and they're just so busy with their lives that they don't have time to be visible bisexuals. And that's why so many people think that, oh, bisexuality is just a phase. And eventually you just pick a side and you just stop talking about it. And it's really stressing me out that I'm not getting to do enough of the bisexual stuff that I want to be doing. Thank God for this podcast. To the to the extreme end of this, I think I think you get you'll get some people who who are very militant on this who basically think it, it's it's heterosexuals pretending to be gay. That's basically the terminology that seems to be getting used a few times. That basically being bisexual or saying you're queer or whatever means that you you're just trying to you know colonize the gay sort of gay space. You want a piece of the pink paradise. Yeah, yeah. it's just like, uh, yes, absolutely. And and I've had people say that to me in not so many words and being quite rude about my sexuality to me. Mm. And I'm just like, and I'm still here and still by people. So it's like, yeah. But when I was younger, it was very intimidating. It's very intimidating when someone basically questions your sexuality and sort of says, well, you can't come in to our club sort of thing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've just got to watch it, though, because, you know, we've, we've seen what's happened with the, tr- with the trans community. 
I mean, that's just turned ridiculously toxic, hasn't it? And it's so toxic. You know. It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. Very upsetting. And another, something else that's not as serious, but again, just gives you an example of how we have still got a long way to go. I was watching um, uh, Live at the Apollo, um, which is a comedy show on uh, on TV uh, a week or so ago, and there was a comedian on there, good comedian. He was taught, he was tackling the issues of, of, of sexual identity, and actually it was quite funny. Um, and uh, he was, you know, he was saying he was saying something along the lines of, um, "Oh, pansexuals, you know, now bisexuals aren't, you know, they haven't got the, they're not as, you know, they're not as as risque, and they're not as, um, you know, they're not as, uh, you know, bisexuals are always the the adventurous ones. Now they've got pansexuals, and the, you know, it was, he did it in a fun way, which is great. But there was one little bit he came out with, and I'm not going to cancel him. I'm not into that, as we none of us are, and I can see the funny side of this." But it just shows you how far we've still got to come. He was say he was saying that some guy had said to him that he was bisexual, and the reason he was bisexual was because he fancied some guy back in whenever, but they'd never actually done anything about it. As far as he was concerned, that proved that he was bisexual, and he was having a go at this guy about it on the, in the joke, and saying, you know, well, you know, I, I've wanted to volunteer for blah blah blah, but it doesn't make me a, it doesn't make me a such and such volunteer. Um, and I just thought, and everyone's laughing and all the rest of it. Now, it's vaguely funny, but actually, it's deep, not. deep down, it's yeah. not, is it really? It's not. You know I mean? And it's, the, it's, the, it's one of those stereotypes that perpetuates people not coming out and not feeling comfortable. Yeah. yeah. We, we know, that is real. If you keep hearing your sexuality is a joke and nobody takes it seriously and you just want to have your cake and eat it and all those tropes... That has an impact on you. Yeah, exactly. And it just it just made me think to myself, if if that had been something similar around being gay, it, it would never have even got it. through, would it? You it would not have got away with it, totally. No. And we're not humorless, thank God, but yeah, you, we could, you know, we could get very annoyed about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we've still got a, a, a long way to go on those things, which is, is quite is quite scary. And, um, you know, I don't know, um, where, where will we go? I mean, I had conversations this week with somebody about doing more stuff on bisexuality and the, the conversation was basically focused on, well, if we're going to do that, we need to do it from a science angle. Um, as though, oh, as my though, God, that is so I insulting. Do you exist? Yes, we do. Oh, we're not <laughs> sure. We're going to ask somebody in a white lab coat. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy, crazy, crazy. Anyway, let's stay on the subject of stats, but slightly differently, and we're going to get a little bit more... A little bit more explicit on the stats now, because YouGov here in the UK have come out with a load of stats around uh, what we all actually get up to in bed, which is makes really interesting reading. Actually, the headline of this was they, they came out with a load of stuff about the um, what's it called the um, the orgasm gap was the big yes. thing, wasn't it? About how um, I think uh, bisexual and lesbian women have. Better orgasms apparently uh, than than straight women do. I think that was the main headline. And, and more of them. I and think it's the quality, it's the quantity. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That was the main headline. But if you look deeper into the stats, there's some interesting ones about. You know, we, as we know, there's a lot of myths about what people get up to in bed, and a lot, a hell of a lot of myths about what gay men and bisexual men get up, up to in bed. So just reading some of these st- stats here, there's there's, there's um. Basically, um, they, they, they surveyed people about uh, the kind of things they get up to, uh, things that, you know, sexual acts that are performed on you, sexual acts that are performed on your partner. So let me just read a couple of these out. So bisexual men performed on you. So penis stimulation with the hand um, is 60%. Or, AKA a handy. 
<laughs> you want, sorry? AKA a handy. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Okay. Uh, oral sex is um, 44%. Um, and anal penetration, 9%. Now, um, that's quite low. Um, but amongst um, gay men, it was only 24%. So it's not exactly massively high amongst gay men either. So, you know, there's a, there's, I think there's always a fallacy that... I mean, nothing wrong with it, but I think there's a fallacy that everybody is having anal sex in the gay and bisexual world. And it's not necessarily, yes. not and, necessarily and it's, it's it's The prep is hard work. The prep is real. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you can't just show and, up. And all, <laughs> you can't just show up to anal sex like you haven't sorted yourself out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then performed on your partner... So this is what you may perform your partner. So bisexual men, um, vaginal pre- pre- penetration is 60%. Penis stimulation with the hand is 33%. Uh, clitoral stimulation with fingers is 58%. Oral sex is 52%. And anal penetration is 8%. So that's the figures there. Any surprises on in that? Anything that's, Wait, uh... did they bunch bisexuals together by sex? In no, that. this is or was that just for bisexual men? This is just bisexual men. I'm going to do women in a second. I've not got to women yet. So well, I'm pleasantly surprised by the clitoral stimulation figure. That was I, the one that got me yes. there. And then I was like, oh, it must be like, they must have, that must be by women doing it to themselves. Is, That's why is... I asked if they <laughs> merge the figure together. This is, by, this is by men. Um... Well, I can't imagine, actually. Yeah. This, is by, this, is by, this is by men uh, performing clitoral stimulation on their female part gotcha 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 58% amongst bi men and in straight men it's it's 67% so there you go I would have thought it would have been the other way around because I think bi men are more gracious and giving in bed well there you go and 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 straight men, uh, even though you know people don't think of anal sex with straight men, by the way, but there, there is, they, it does register. It does register. Pegging is real. Two percent and one percent, uh, respectively. On when it comes to women, bisexual women. So this is performed on you, bisexual women. Uh, the report: seventy-five percent vaginal penetration, sixty-two um, percent clitoral stimulation with the fingers, um, and oral sex: thirty-five percent. And anal sex, 4%. So that's, that's 35%? Is that it? 30. Is that all? People are not going down on women. <laughs> Men third... are not going down on women. That is shocking. <laughs> what are you doing with your lives? If you are not giving head, sort your head out. <laughs> I've just then... seen Nikki on like a poster if we were like in a really sexually confident society. Like that's the Give advert head, Nikki's on. sort your head out. <laughs> And then performed on your partner. So this is people, you know, performing this on your partner. So lesbians, uh, not lesbians, sorry. Bisexual women, vaginal penetration, 10%. Um, Penis stimulation with the hand, 57%. Clitoral stimulation with fingers, 20%. It's quite low, isn't it? That feels quite low. That's interesting. Oral sex, 41%. Yeah. And anal penetration, 3%. So there you go. The big difference there between lesbians and bisexual women was that clitoral stimulation amongst les- with lesbian women is is 66% performed on your partner. Bisexual women, 20%. But of course, the thing about this is bisexual women will be having sex with men and women, whereas lesbians are just having sex with women, aren't they? So you know what I mean? 
Um, it gets yeah, quite complicated sort of, sort of if you're not careful. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, there's quite a lot of deep reading into this, how the statistics work. It's not yeah, exactly, exactly what you first And think. let's just have a quick look at how, how straight men, because straight men don't get talked about much. Let's see what straight men are up to. So Let's give them a chance. Uh, so here we go. So performed on you, penis stimulation with the hand, 49%. Oh, Oral sex, right, 29%. Which, oh wow! Which feels quite a lot. Twenty nine percent. Nobody's yeah. going down on each other anymore. Oh my god! This is a crisis. <laughs> One percent anal penetration performed on your partner. Uh, vaginal penetration seventy seven percent. Clitoral stimulation with fingers sixty seven percent. Oral sex thirty three percent, and two percent. Anal penetration, but yeah, oral sex pretty low, isn't it? Seems quite. I'm just appalled. What <laughs> Nick are you is doing, appalled, people? but this is the problem. You've read out all these sexual acts. There's a whole generation of kids now that aren't doing this. This is, you know, yes. we should have asked, you know, who sent a naughty TikTok to consenting receiver or something like that. Yes, like we, or who's like, had, there's what, new what ways the, to be sexual yeah. now. You don't That's, have to touch each yes, other. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> who's having so-called cyber sex as they call yeah. it in the '90s? I mean, it's terrifying for me. Like, I wouldn't want it, but we have to explore that this younger generation really yeah. don't need to touch each other. Well, and I... also, there's not there's nothing about BDSM in there. There's nothing about like yeah. dominant submission tying up any of those kinds of things, which I think younger people are more into BDSM. And not to blame the pandemic for everything, but if this research was done over the pandemic in various forms of lockdown, probably people were only having sex with their partners because or, or, or not because that everybody that was so do. fed up of each other nobody yeah. could bear to look at each other let alone touch each other so <laughs> so some some room for um improvement next time and, and just to put this, this in, very interesting let's put this in perspective for a second this is this it makes you just think the sample was 687 straight men 594 gay men 196 bisexual men 699 straight women 225 lesbian women and 491 bisexual women. Oh, well, that seems chaotic. Yeah. And that you can't draw accurate conclusions from that data. What did they do? Did they work out a percentage? Do you know what I mean? Did they reduce down the numbers to make it an average percentage? And then, I can't get the words out, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure. But, you know, stats... Yeah, it's always down to interpretation. One yeah. thing I yeah. would really love to do is to build a yeah. build a bisexual database of if we could yes. get five thousand bisexual people from around the world and we ask them questions, the same questions every year, and see how things change, just so that we can at least monitor ourselves. Fantastic. Right, so we're gonna get a bit serious now because we're gonna hear a story from a guy called Joe, who was thrown out of the Royal Navy for being uh, bisexual. The authorities were on his tail for 20 years and he's recently uh, found out, like a lot of other people who were um, lesbian, gay or bisexual in the in the forces, that they're going to get some compensation for that. And uh, he got his medals back a few years ago, but he's a bit sceptical as to whether he'll actually ever get any money. Here's the interview with Joe. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So, Joe, it's lovely to talk to you for Bisexual Brunch. Obviously, we've heard the news, uh, great news, after a long time of people campaigning um, for this to happen. But let's talk about the history. Let's go back. Tell us a bit about your 
early years and your youth and obviously serving in the forces and that kind of thing. Tell us your story and then I'll I'll butt in with right, some questions. Right. Well, I, I joined the, the Royal Navy. I was a gas fitter in Plymouth in Devon. And uh, in 1976, I was living in a house which had three Matlows. Uh, the Matlows is a sailor, incidentally. I saw their way of life and I, I compared it to mine. Mine was well a good trade. It was reasonably well paid, but nothing in comparison to what these guys were on. They were travelling around the world, um, almost double the wages I was on. So I thought, oh, this is, for me, this is. So I went to the recruitment office and signed on the dotted line, passed all the exams. And in June 1976, I, I, I went down to Raleigh in Cornwall for my basic training. During this training, uh, we got two SIB officers at Special Investigation Branch doing the, the, the programme itself. And they asked everybody to put their hands up who was gay, bisexual, um, or different to anybody else, but to put their hands up. Nobody did, because we knew it was illegal to be gay in the armed forces. Not the, the emphasis on the word gay, not bisexual or transgender, anything like that. It's always gay. So nobody put their hands up. Um, they did the lecture and they told us that anybody who was caught for found to be gay would be put in prison and then discharged with a dishonourable discharge afterwards, which would mean your chance of getting other jobs virtually non, non, not possible. Uh, I asked a question, why is it illegal? And one of these officers looked at me in disdain and said, well, you do realise that there's a Cold War at the moment. I said, yes. He said, well, anybody who's gay is susceptible to being blackmailed by the Russians. I said, fair enough. I said, but that is providing you don't know about it. What happens if you do know about these people and they're gay? They can't be blackmailed, can they, any longer? And he said, are you telling me you're gay? I said, no. I said, I'm just trying to work out what, you know, what is the reasoning behind you saying what you are saying, that's all. Anyway, later on, I moved from, I passed all my exams and I, and I went to um, to Portsmouth, um, to Mercury, which, which is where all the radio operators get trained. There, I still hadn't received an answer, but a proper answer. So I went and saw the Padre and I said, what happens if you're bisexual? And he said, well, it, it, you come under the same rule, basically. He said, but he said, I'm not asking you, are you bisexual? He said, but if you are, I'd, I'd keep it quiet if I was you. Right. The next thing, I, I, I passed all my exams in Mercury um, and I joined my first ship, which was HMS Plymouth. Now, she was Plymouth-based as well, and uh, just so as it, that's where I used to live when I joined up. Um, I had a girlfriend there, and uh, Plymouth came in one weekend, and I went to stay with my girlfriend and her family. Um, on the Monday, I got these two officers came to the uh, the ship, and they accused me of being up in, I can't remember if it was Bath or Bristol, but I'd been seen in a gay nightclub. And I said, no, I, I said, that's an impossibility. I said, I was with, you know, my girlfriend and her family all weekend. So they said, can you give us their details? I said, yeah, by all means, you know. So they went to my girlfriend's family. Obviously, my girlfriend was working and said, do, do they know this person, i.e. me? And she, they said, yeah, he was with us last weekend. 
I said, sure of that. They said, yeah, of course we are. You know, we had, you know, good Jim Wag. He's a lovely lad and all the rest of it. Um, but they told my girlfriend's parents that I was under investigation for being gay. Now, you don't do that at all. That is breaking the law. Consequently, me and the girlfriend split over it. But they got me on the, the books as a suspect. And once they have you on the books, they will never let go. They do covert operations. They follow you, um, which, see which pubs you're going into, who you're with. They go into your your your, um, your locker, read all your mail, look at your photographs. You know, on one occasion, I have a I have a pen friend who lives in in Japan, and they they found her photograph. I said that's a lady, and she's married. You know, and, th and this is what they they're, they're like. Um, I actually was drafted to Stanov Forland, that's the NATO fleet. And what happens here is that all the co the countries in NATO will all put a ship into the NATO fleet and they'll work together for six months and then they'll send another ship which will take over for the previous one. Um, we were come Stanov Forland, that's command of Stanov Forland. So we, we never came back to the UK. Uh, for two and a half years, as soon as another ship took over, we'd move on to that next ship. And my job was to show them all the different procedures, communication-wise. The day we got in, I was on the HMS Norfolk, and we got into Portsmouth, and lo and behold, it's two of these gentlemen again, the SIB. I'd been seen two months before, and they were waiting for me. And uh, apparently I'd been doing drugs in a gay bar. So I just laughed at him. I said, hey, I said, I've never taken a drug in my life. I said, you can take a blood sample or a urine sample whenever you want. You, you won't find drugs in me. I said, and furthermore, I said, I've been away from the UK for two and a half years. This is my first day back. Uh, they weren't having it. So I then got my divisional officer into the meeting as well. And he just ended the meeting. He said, no, he said, I can confirm. He's been abroad for two and a half years with Sands Navy. Um, so th th this just shows you what they're like. Now, my life in the Navy was fantastic. I had Fiji superiors and every one of my write-ups. You, you know, there's not many people get that in the write-ups. That You know, there's always something goes wrong. But no, all, all my write-ups were Fiji superiors. However, in 1993, I, th they came again for me. They wouldn't let go. Um, and they said that I'd, I'd been accused of being in bed with another rating. So I, I disputed this. I said, no, it's never happened. This hasn't. Right? They got this, this young lad to pinpoint me on a dark night with hardly any lighting outside the dining hall. Um, they, they sat until I waited and then pointed me out and said, is that the person? You can understand the pinpointing one person out of hundreds of ratings. Um, and he said, yes, that's it. So he made a statement. Um, he, he described my room, which was completely wrong. He described what floor it was. He described whereabouts on the floor it was. And he got everything wrong. Um, obviously, my room was right next to a fire exit. And yet he, he pointed out the top end of the, the corridor. Um, and it was on the wrong floor anyway. He described my room wrong. Oh, it, it was ridiculous. During the court-martial anyway, they, they put an added um, charge against me, and that is conduct prejudicial to good order and naval discipline. 
they put this charge on everybody because if they can't win on the first one, they'll win on the second because you've been to court. Anyway, I during the court martial, the the the, the prosecution had got some incriminating evidence against me, so they stopped the proceedings, put me in in a, a room, left the door wide open, and left me on my own in this room. Now during this period, a young lad walked past, had a look in the room, nodded at me, so I nodded back to him. Um, and just carried on walking, he did. Then they, they resumed the court-martial, and the incriminating evidence was from this young lad who just walked by and got my description by looking at me in the room, uh, saying that he, he knew me from a gay bar in Plymouth. It was ridiculous. It was it was just a set-up. Anyway, that was dismissed from the court-martial, and the, uh, they were told that they had to ignore what they'd just heard. Now, we were looking here at a a court-martial which is full of naval officers who all come under the same rules that of it's illegal to be gay in the armed forces. And they're so bigoted, it's unbelievable. How could they ignore what they just heard? They can't. Um, anyway, as it, as it was, you know, the end of the court-martial, I was found not guilty of the main charge. But, however, I was found guilty of the, the second charge, that being contradictory to good order and na of naval discipline. And as such, I was discharged from the forces. I uh, had a writer come into the room and with the biggest purchases I've ever seen. I said, I need your medals, mate, and just cut them off my tunic. Now, during this period of me being court-martialed, I also saw the captain of the base. He didn't uh, shy away from letting his feelings be known as to anybody who was gay, and in particular me. He stated that people such as I were disgusting and there was no place in a civilised society, and in particular in the, within the Royal Navy, for people like me. He wrote to the uh, Admiral, um, recommending I be discharged, and said that he had no doubt that I would try and corrupt junior ratings. Now, luckily for me, I kept all the paperwork of this. Now, I, once I left the armed forces, I went back home, and I was in a dark bubble. I had no income coming in. I had some money in the bank, but only enough to last me, I'd say, about six months. I had a mortgage. I had a car. Um, I lost everything in the end because I couldn't afford to keep up the payments. Uh, I was going in farmers' fields, pinching potatoes and ca uh, cabbages just to keep myself alive. As it was, a good friend of mine who'd previously been in the Navy made contact with me and he lived in Southampton and he worked for a company that would only take on ex-forces people. Uh, there was a vacancy going and he asked me would I be, pre be prepared to move to Southampton for an interview. So I said, yeah, I said, I can come. So I went up on the weekend, had the interview and I started on the Monday. So that was my way back into work. Now, by this time, I was something like £25,000 in debt with my bank. Nobody was helping at all. And it took me over 15 years to get my bank details back up and running properly. And this was all because of the, the Navy and what they did to me. Now, I, I, I fought them for my medals back. My, you know, I had my three epaulets and my long service and good conduct badge back. 
Um, I don't know if you can see it on a on a picture of the wall above me there. Yeah, I can but, see them. I can see them. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> um, they wanted to get a captain to return them to me, and I said no. I said an admiral took gave it to me initially. An admiral took it off me, so I want an admiral to give it back to me. I said I want an apology. Now uh, they agreed to this, but that was under the terms that I didn't have any news media at the meeting. Um, anybody from the you know the media, whether it be written or from the, the TV, so I agreed to this. And as it was, it was the, uh, the defence secretary who actually returned them to me. So I wasn't going to let go of him. Well, I've got the opportunity, so I went for the jugular with him, and I, you know I told him all the things which had happened. I said it's disgusting the way you treat people, and he said, "Well, you are aware that." Um, uh, we changed the law in 1997, so it's no longer um, illegal. I said, yes, it is. I said, but what about the rest? I said, what about all the medals that you took off these people? Um, I said, fair enough, you're giving me mine back now. I said, but that's only because for the last two years, I've been working with um, Liberty, and we've had to take you to the high courts in London to make you change your mind. And he said, yes, he said, I can see where you're coming from. He said, but we was looking at doing this anyway. I thought, yes, of course you was. So then I said, well, what about pensions as well? A lot of them lost their ranks. Um, they got a smaller pension. And like myself, I said, I had to wait 17 years before I could get that pension. I said, that was at a lower rate. I said, so I, I would like my pension back. I'd like my rank back, my pension to a full a military pension, and I'd like it uh, uh, paid back to me as I'd, I'd finished my time in the Navy, which would mean that would be 17 years back pay. Um, he said, I'll be in touch with you in the next few months. He said, the government is looking at this. Now, that was over a year ago. And now the government's saying what they are doing again now. They're saying exactly the same. So I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath with them. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously been through. Well, it's just ridiculous when you think about what you've been through. I and mean, when did you when did you start in the in the forces? When would when did you begin? Uh, no, June, June nineteen seventy six. Right. So basically, you had all this for more or less twenty years. Did you at any point? Did you at any point during that period think to yourself, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm just going to get out. I did many a time, but the life in the navy was just fantastic. I was going to all corners of the world. Uh, I was getting promoted. Everything was going smoothly for me. When after my basic training, when the two SIB officers said what they did to the to the class, I thought I've got to hide this and hide it. I certainly did. I was living a a, a life of lies in that respect all through my naval career. But you get you you, you fit into it eventually. You. Uh, you know the you know the shadowing you you know the watching where you're going you know the reading your mail you know the looking at your photographs they're checking your bedding they're doing all sorts you know this is happening mm. so what you do is you just cover yourself all the time and you don't leave yourself open for anything they can throw at you now I've I've wrapped my brain how they got hold of me in the first place and the only place I could think of was it was this padre which I'd spoken to. And then I thought, no, 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 Padres are not allowed to repeat what you say to them. You know, it's sacrosanct, or so I believed it was. And then it, it was about 1998, I think it was. 
I don't know if you recall, but there was a big hue and cry in the papers because all the padres and the priests in the armed forces were reporting anybody who'd gone to them with gay issues to the hierarchy, and they were being kicked out. And then you know the the, the you know the chieftains in the in the uh, religious spheres told them that this has got to stop; they can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I, you know. So the, the only place I think they could have possibly have got me from would be this padre who'd reported me. Now, of course, you were a young man when you you know first went in the forces, yes. and and of course that is you know a period of your life when you want to meet people and you want to express yeah. your sexuality in different ways and all the rest of yeah. it. Obviously, you were bisexual, so yes. there is you know there will be people who are listening to this who are gay saying, well, what's the What's the problem? He can hide behind being being behind being a straight relationship, whatever. But that's yeah. not the point, is it? Because at the end of the day, you have feelings, and you have feelings for both men and women. You want to be able to express those feelings at different times and different stages in your life. How did you cope with that side of it, not being able to be fully open? Well, the the, the thing, as I said earlier on, you, you, you're working with a brilliant set of people. The second to none. I mean, so your life depends on them and their life depends on you. You don't have enough space for extra bods on board a ship. If there's a fire, you have to fight that fire. You can't call 999 for help. You've got to fight it. So you have a very close-knit community. Now, as such, you know, we have 28 radio operators on board, all living in the same mess. And every time you went anywhere, you'd go with them. So the thought of anything, you know, to do with sex is, as such never materialised unless, you know, of course, all the lads were going chatting the, the girls up. And uh, usually there was a girl somewhere for me as well. So but even, I, I was content with it. But even, but even still, you've got all that period when you're not able to at least be, to be able to communicate the fact that you're, you know, you are, I mean, I'm not, I know that, the world is world wasn't as open on certain things anyway back then, and things have changed, and it's different in a way. It's different now, and people are much more expressive, and all the rest of it. But you know, the what that was, you know, there were two sides to your to you in terms of your personality and your sexuality. Did you find that just in the the whole notion of being able to talk about that? I don't necessarily mean act on it, but at least talk about it. Did you find there were people you got to trust who you could talk about it? No, you, you couldn't trust anybody in the armed forces to talk about your sexuality right, okay. because you knew that if you would do, they would pass it on to somebody else. And, and it's, you know, it's one person will pass it to another person. They'll pass it to somebody else. And before long, the the, the provost marshal would find out about it yeah. and then the SIB would be on board. Yeah. They'd never tell you who told them. Oh, you know, all they do is they come on board when you're alongside somewhere, and then they gruel you. You mentioned the fact that um, one of your relationships ended because of this, some of these investigations yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Did you? Were you ever? There wasn't one. There was. Two, there was two relationships ended. Oh, really? Because of it. We, the first one was with the, the the girlfriend in Plymouth, and the second one, uh, well, she was in Plymouth as well. But that's when they kicked me out. Were you able at some stage later on, you know, years later, were you able to be open and talk to these oh, women? Yes, I, 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 I talked to the second one about it because I didn't want to lose her. She was a lovely lass. Um, and she was quite open about it. She said, well, it makes no odds to me as long as you're not, you know, going 
messing around while you're with me. Yeah, uh, she said, "What you, what your, you know, what your beliefs are is up to you." Since since I left the armed forces, I've seen um, padres and whatnot. Don't get me wrong; I'm not, but um, uh, I wouldn't say I'm religious per se. But I, you know, I have saw padres just to get a piece, a bit of peace of mind. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the answer was, well, I need to go and see the doctor yeah. and get cured. Um, and furthermore, if I want to be accepted into a church, I have to ask for forgiveness. Well, I've always been a very strong-willed person, and I'm sure you can imagine what what the following conversations were like between me and this padre. I, I you know, I threw it in his face. I thought God made man in His own image. I said, and here you are condemning me. I said, the thing is, I was born this way. I had no say in the matter. When you um, and that's what annoyed me. When you left, then, and you were finally yes. free of all these, you know, people investigating you and all the rest of it, and you were. I mean, I know you were you were struggling because you had to, you know, all the stress of the no money and having yeah. to get a new career and all the rest of it. But did you did you feel the freedom of being able to actually finally be yourself? I did. Yeah, I did in one respect. But I also felt um, at a loss because I'd lost my life. Yeah. I mean, see, those 18 years I'd spent with the, the Royal Navy were 18 fantastic years I, I couldn't floor them at all. I worked with brilliant people. Um, oh, it, it was like a big family, and it, it was fantastic. You know, I've been round the world four times. I've been, I was down the Falklands during the conflict. I've done six tours of duty in Northern Ireland. I've been to the Middle East twice. I'm, you know, I'm prepared to give my life for my country, mm-hmm. and that is the way they treated me in the end. It's absolutely disgusting. It was, you know. So have you, in terms of relationships and things, have you managed to, you know, since you left, have you managed to sort of form some good relationships with different people? Have you managed no, to haven't. get, have you managed to get sort of better conversations going with different people about your sexuality and things like that? I've got some very good friends, um, both male and female. And when, when I left the Armed Forces, I thought, I'm not going to ride this anymore. So I went to a, a gay pub. And I did not like it, I'm afraid. Mm. It wasn't me. It was so fickle, so insincere. I got the impression that if you're over 21, nobody wants to know you because you're old-fashioned. And I thought, this is completely, you know, not what I was expecting. So I don't go in any gay bars. Um, I've got very good friends. All of them are are straight. Um, I've told them what I am, and none of them have any problems with me at all. Yeah. Uh, the only person that I did have a problem with was my best friend. His employer was so homophobic. I've never met anybody so bad, badly homophobic as this guy. You know, I mean, he went on holidays and when he come back, he he, he saw me and he, he, he made a, a beeline for me because there was a big crowd around me. He said, oh, I've just been to wherever it was, Turkey, I think it was. And he said, I went to one of your bars. I said, one of my bars? don't have a bar in Turkey. He said, no, one of your, um, you know, puffter bars. I said, oh, and how did you know it was a puffter bar? He said, they had those, you know, those sticks you get in glasses, what you can munch away at. He said, they had those on the counter. So I thought, oh, I see. Well, I best make sure I don't get any of those in the house in case anybody should ask me, am I gay? (laughs) You know, I don't know where he worked out his logic there. Anyway, this guy would never let go. Every time he saw me, he was always pushing 
some gay issue onto me, you know. And that's the only time I've I've really met anybody who's, you know, some some people say, oh, you know, we, we don't mind you, you know. No, no we, you know, you've never, you never tried it on with me. And I thought, well, aren't you the lucky one? You know, <laughs> they, they, they think because you're gay, you're bisexual, you're trying it on with I know, everybody. I know. They can't comprehend that. No, yeah, you know, yeah. it never happens so do you, like that. So, do you know? We, we often ask this on bisexual brunch to each other, actually, when we're discussing things. And I can say that even though I'm very, very much bisexual, I probably only know a handful of people who are actually bisexual who I could go and see and talk to. Do you really? Yeah, just a handful. You, what about you? Do you, you do you do you know anybody who's actually bis bisexual? I know loads. You loads of them, but they'd ne but they'd never own up to it because they're married. Yeah. And I know that because when, when I left the armed forces, I joined the Rank Outsiders organisation and I became the director of welfare service. So I was the first po point of call for anybody who'd got an issue and they wanted help. And believe me, you'd be surprised how many married men there were who were who dabbled, they just dabbled to find out whether they were gay or not. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I said, well, you've had sex with a man. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you, you, yeah, but it was only just a dabble to see if I'd like it or not. I said, nobody in the right man would do that. You're an idiot. <laughs> you know, this was why we, we're an idiot. I said, you, you're married, for yeah. heaven's sake. You know, you could lose your marriage because of that. And they said, well, you know, we, we only... So what you just said, only a few people you know who are bisexual. Mm. Uh, no, you'd be surprised Loads. how many people you know. There are, there are, if anything, I would say there are twice as many bisexual people than what there are gays. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, it's, the, it, it's the tip of the iceberg, isn't it, to be honest? It is. Really. It is. Yeah. Well, hopefully, as attitudes change, hopefully people will be able to come out as as bisexual. I mean, I, I sit here um, in the flat that I'm in in Manchester, which is a, a flat that's a, Grenf a Grenfell Tower flat in the sense we're having loads of cladding sorted out and whatever oh, at the moment. Um, and there's, there's builders after builder every day. And I think to myself... There might be 10 builders on the... And I think there's probably about two of them. Two or three of them are probably bisexual in reality. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it's those kind of people, isn't it? It's people who are in, in jobs and things where they can't be open about stuff who are, are suffering, aren't they? Because they, it will affect them mentally over time. It must have affected you mentally over time. Well, it did. I, I ended up out to see my doctor. The, the military never came into the equations in it initially. I thought it was just me working too hard mm. because I was working about 18 hours every day, seven days a week. And I was feeling really low. I went to saw my doctor. He referred me to a clinical psychologist. And there it came out. He said, well, tell me about your life in the Navy. So I was quite open with him. I had nothing to hide. Um, he said, yes. He said, he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, you're suffering with post-traumatic stress. I said, but why? I said, my life in the Navy was brilliant. He said, you might think it was, but it wasn't. He said, he was living a, 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 you know, two lives all the time. Mm. He was watching what you were saying, where you was going. He said, and that takes it out of you. Your body gets used to it mm. after a while, but it's still nagging inside you, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when it comes to, we'll talk a bit in, in a moment about the recent announcement and whatever, but when it comes to your, your own bisexuality, one thing we discuss on Bisexual Brunch often is that everybody who's bisexual is, is quite different in their own, the way yes, they, yes, they see they things. Are. So there are some people who are more sexually attracted to one sex than the other, more emotionally attracted to one than the other kind of thing. How would you see your sexuality? Are you 50-50? How do you see it? I've never really thought about it, to be honest. Um... 
I'd say I'm 50-50. I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go down the street, I'd go into, I don't know, Sainsbury's, and I'll see a lass, you know, I think, oh, she's nice. Uh, or else I'll be like yourself, you know, somebody working on the house. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll see them and I think, oh, he's nice. <laughs> you know, so it works both ways. But the yeah. thing is, I don't go to them and force myself. No, no, like of that. course not. What I believe in doing, and I've always done it since I left the armed forces, I'll tell people that I'm bisexual. Mm. Not openly, not not straight in the face and tell them. I'll tell them it during a conversation. Yeah, um, subtly, subtly. Yeah, yeah. subtly. Yeah. And, and see how they respond. Now, if they respond well, then th that's okay. If they don't respond well, then it's up to them, then, mm. whether they keep in touch with me or they ignore me. But we face the issue, don't we, on both sides? Because a lot of gay people can't get their head around bisexuality and a lot of straight people can't get their head around bisexuality. They, they, both sides have an issue, don't they, with it sometimes? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah, It's crazy, really. So what do you think about the recent announcement then? How do you feel about the, the recent announcement? Well, as I say, I, I left in 1993. It was only last year that they, they agreed to give me my medal and badges and they were looking at pensions then. Mm. Now, that was the Defence Secretary who said that to me. Um, and I've heard nothing from them since. Now, all of a sudden, this was sprung on, 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 on us. Um, but all these things which are going wrong, isn't it marvellous how the government's coming out and doing nice things for humanity? You so know? your view on this is you'll believe it when you see it, is what you're trying to yes, say? Yes, indeed. Really? I'm not going to hold firm on it at all. Um that, you know, each to their own. Some people might believe it. But I know after I got my medal back, you've got one of the MPs openly saying, oh, this is disgusting the way Mr Horace Litch has been treated. Um, and we're glad that he's won his case. I've never... I mean, I've, obviously, I know this story. I've followed this story over a number of years, but I've never actually heard much real detail. And your detail you've given me there as to how you were... You know, followed and and sort of pursued over such a long time. I mean, that's horrific. It's absolutely could I, horrific. Could I, could I ask you, you? You get you write to people, do you? We sometimes do. Yeah, yeah. Right. You keep the letters. Do you do you put those letters somewhere safe in a drawer or something like that? Yeah, I would do or, most of the, most know, of the time. Like, most of the time, yeah. Right. If you get like a bank statement, you, you've got a little folder or something like that, haven't you? Yeah, I try well, to. I'm not. I'm not very organised, but hopefully most of the time, yeah. Well, remember, I'm ex-Navy, so I am organised. <laughs> of course. Um, Im imagine me going having a look at my bank statements and finding that they're all been messed about. Yeah. Like this month has been put behind my um, statements two months back. It, it, the warning bells are telling you. And then you note that your letter hasn't been hasn't been put back together properly, mm. and it hasn't been left at the back of the drawer where mm. you normally put them. It's been left at the front of the drawer. These things are a giveaway all the time, you know. Mm -hmm. Then you start watching the pubs you go into, um, and you'll always see two people always stood in the back of a pub somewhere, watching. You know, they they're watching everybody. Mm. And they, they occasionally speak to each other and they're nodding at somebody in the, you know, in, in the pub. And, you, you know, you sense, is this the SIB checking up on you? And this is the sort of life you, you, you live in the end, you know. Have you managed since all of this to connect with other people who've been through the same experience? 
Well, as I said, I was director of welfare at Rank yeah. Outsiders. Yeah. So I saw hundreds of people who had, had the, gone through not too dissimilar problems to my own. Yeah. Some people had been put in prison. I, I hadn't. No. So have you become have you become friends with some of these people? Have you managed to keep in touch with them and things? Yes, yeah, yeah. I do. I've got a good friend up in Manchester, believe it or not. Um, I, I knew him from my early days in the, in the Navy. Um, yeah, the interesting thing is, after the, the news media got wind of my winning my medal back, it was on all the local TV programmes all over the country. Yeah. And I got a text message from one guy who was on my first ship <laughs> saying, I never knew you was. So I thought, here we go. I'm, I'm off now. So I, I, I typed back, I didn't know you was. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm not. I'm straight. And I said, well, I'm not. I'm bisexual. He said, oh, come on, um, Jan, because that's what my name used to be, yeah. you know, the mob. He said, come on, Jan. He said, you know, I don't mean it nastily. I said, no, I'm only getting you wind, wind up. <laughs> he said, no, he said, well done to you. Yeah. He said, yeah. you know, he said, nobody ever knew you was. Yeah. He said, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. He said, you hid it so well. Yeah. Yeah. You well, you shouldn't have had to hide it at all. That's the point, no. isn't it? No. Yeah. You know, I had, as I say, I had 18 years in the Royal Navy, which was brilliant. But I could have had 18 years, which was even better still. I'd have not had to hide this all, all, all that time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Joe, it's been lovely to talk to you. Um, I hope Likewise. you do, I hope you do finally get you know the compensation that um, you deserve. Um, we must keep the pressure on them, really, mustn't we? We are doing that. You've got two big organisations uh, already. They've got the wheels in motion. There's fighting with pride is one of them. Yeah. Um, Craig Jones is the CEO of that organisation. I, I know him very well, and he, he's good. He's very good. So. I'm wishing him all the best. Unfortunately for myself, I, I you know I've got a pacemaker fitted now, and I've recently been diagnosed with cancer. Um, so you know I don't think I've got much longer to live. Um, but no, fighting with pride is a good organisation, and I'm sure they they'll keep the pressure on the government. But it's important as well, isn't it, to obviously to get the justice for everybody. But also, hopefully, to in telling your story and everyone telling their stories of what they've been through, to make yes. sure that you know we at least in the future have a a world in which bisexual people and gay people just you know aren't treated like this at all anymore. Yeah, you know? indeed. You know. Well, as I say to everybody, have I have I ever touched you? You know, when they they find out about me, they say, "Well, no, you haven't." I said, "Right, why haven't I?" And, they, and you can see them trying to rack their brains. Why hasn't he tried it with me? And I think, well, you know, we're no different to, you know, straight people, it, it, apart from all sexuality. Well, of course, people think that bisexual people fancy everybody and want to jump into bed with everyone and that we're having orgies every week, don't they? Well, don't, don't we? <laughs> Chance to be a fine thing. It would, wouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Nice to have spoken yeah, to you. Nice to talk to you, Joe, as well. So, Joe there, with a, a quite amazing and shocking story, really, when you think about it. Hopefully, he will get the compensation uh, that he deserves. Um, this has been going on for quite a long time, hasn't it? We've heard these stories for a long time about the government, different governments over the years, looking to try and compensate and sort this out and, uh, you know, give people pardons and all those kind of things. But whatever they do, and it, to be fair, it's not the governments of today that is the fault when you think about it but whatever they do it's never ever going to sort of compensate for a life in which these people weren't able to be themselves is it 
I am so appalled by this story. And I think the other thing that I'm appalled by is, you're right, when we think about posthumously pardoning people, it's always gay people and lesbians. It's never bi people. Mm-hmm. So that's another aspect of this. It's again like, this is another time where bi people are just kind of forgotten for, you know, having been penalised for trying to be themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and no amount of money can make up for the life that was taken away from you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's horrendous, isn't it, Lewis? I know. I, it's, in some respects, it's too late. The damage has been done. I think the only thing we can ever really take from this is this whole, like, freedom and allowing people to be themselves, as long as they're not hurting anyone. It's just we, we can never go back on that value ever again. Like, leave people alone. Stop monitoring people. And, it, you know, obviously in this country now, it looks like we're, we're on the on the right path still many countries around the world where this this is going on so it, it's just it's 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 terrible you hear stories like this and you just you want to do something about it and it's it's too late so all we can really do is try and make sure that never happens again yeah and absolutely. that the stories are told and that the stories are told yeah, and that they're not yeah. hidden in history which is I mean, what happens with five stories if you're listening to joe listening to joe of course he, he was also you know very you know he really wanted to say he wanted to be in the navy it was really important for him to in the camaraderie and all the rest of it, so he didn't he didn't need all that hassle. But at the same time, most people are in the forces as well. Their focus is on their job. They're not focused on going and having sex with lots of different people and all the rest of it. You just you know, yes, they have a bit of fun here now and again, I'm sure. But what but I mean they is, they need to. Take... They're so disciplined, and what they do for us is you know so they take it seriously, it's, don't they? It's Very just so seriously. important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, they all like to have a little bit of a party when they're off duty, but they need to take the pressure off because their work is very very stressful. Exactly, exactly. So good luck to Joe on that. Now, just a word on what's coming soon to both Bisexual Brunch and to our sister platform, Distinct Nostalgia. We'll be remembering the groundbreaking British film Sunday Bloody Sunday from 1971. Nominated for eight Oscars and winning five of them, it starred legendary British actors Peter Finch and Glenda Jackson. Their focus, a sexy bisexual man who they shared. It was the first major feature film to tackle bisexuality. And we'll be talking candidly to Murray Head, who made history by playing Bob. I'm somewhere in the background. You've got the two of them face to face, of Glenda and Peter. And I felt out of focus nearly all the way through the film. It was like all the attention had to be on their compromises, their sacrifices, not the young man who can do what he likes, you know. And about a third of the way through the film, I broke down. I said to John, what the... F- fuck do they see in there? Why do they put up with this? With this little tit who just, you know, wanders around, does what he wants, goes to one when he feels like, goes to another when he gets bored. What is it? I mean, what do they see in him? She said, sex dear. And I, I found myself saying, you know, well, that's all very well. Sex does a lot, mate. But, you know, I hadn't found ultimate sex by that time in my life. I was quite young, you know. So, you know, there was no way I could understand that. So that's In Conversation with Murray Head, coming soon exclusively on Bisexual Brunch. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Now then, porn guilt. 
Lewis raised this in one of his articles recently. A guy had written to you about feeling guilty about exactly what, Lewis? Yeah, so it was a guy, a bisexual guy in um, an opposite sex relationship. So he's dating this woman. And basically he was like, I keep watching loads of gay porn and kind of feeling that a, it kind of meant that he was sort of cheating on his partner, but in in a in a different way to kind of how straight men are, are accused of doing that when they watch porn. But also this idea of like, oh, people are right. Like, she's not enough for me. That's why I'm turning to the porn. Um, and feeling that guilt that I sometimes feel like bisexuals really overthink that guilt. Um, because I don't think straight people are here worrying about, oh my God, you know, I've watched porn. What would my other half say? But I think... I don't know, but some of them are. But, but yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry. and I think especially there's that whole discoverability. No one wants to be caught watching porn. But if you were caught by your girlfriend watching gay porn, that there's still lots of stigma there, even if they know and accept your sexuality. So there's, there was so much to unpack in that question. Yeah, Nikki, does it does it rear its head in the, the sort of female side of things? Do you know what? I don't think it does because I think men, straight men, love the idea of women watching lesbian porn. And I only watch lesbian porn, by the way, because I have my husband and like, I feel satisfied in that area sexually. So I'm not actually very interested in men at all. And, he, and he, he admits that it's wrong, but it makes him more comfortable that I'm not looking at, I don't know, big dicks all day. <laughs> so this is <laughs> interesting. Else, I was like, they can just shut up. <laughs> but that's an interesting point. So this guy is obviously worried, like, his use of gay porn means that really he's... So he needs to be secretly sexually fulfilled gay. by men and that's a secretly gay thing. But actually what you're saying is like, no, like the the opposite sex is actually happening in real life through my relationship. But as a yeah. bisexual, I'm managing the other part of yes. me through the porn. Mm. And that's a completely normal, healthy way to, to, to have those think, attractions yes. manifest. I think it's so healthy. Like I've often said to people, if you want to be monogamous, porn can actually be a safeguard for monogamy. Because yeah. just go go watch, go enjoy yourself, go to fantasy land, and then you're not going to breach your marriage or breach your relationship. Most people don't. And if you want to be non-monogamous, absolutely fine. Like, we are not advocates of monogamy necessarily just on this show, are we? Even though exactly. we are. But, you know, uh, I am. But, I mean, yeah, I just, I just find it so fascinating. But and I find it sad as well. It makes me feel sad that this guy is struggling with his sexuality when he should just be enjoying getting off, basically. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of guilt there. Um, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, basically, this obviously happens the other way as well. And and I'm going to talk a, a bit to Mike Rist later on, who's our uh, bisexual journey story this time, because he's from the same background as me in the sense that he's in a relationship with a um, with a, in a you know gay facing relationship. And it happens for us too, in the sense that you know if if we if we start watching straight porn, um, you start to feel guilty. You feel as though you've let the side down. So, you know, you've let the queer side down. You've like suddenly, you know, you've suddenly abandoned. Um, and it, it's, it's a weird, weird, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's an internalised uh, biphobia, isn't it, in, in that sense. We'll, we'll talk more about that with, with, with Mike later. But, you know, we're, to- we're talking openly here about watching porn, which is great. And I don't see, that, I personally do not, I know none of us here see anything wrong in watching porn. But no. there is still a stigma, isn't there, about the whole issue. And that stigma seems to be getting 
I don't know. The society has a weird attitude towards sex anyway, as we know, and still very Victorian in its own little way. Um, I mean, I, I was watching uh, Coronation Street recently. I've got a, an age gap relationship with somebody who's in their 40s, with somebody who's in his early 20s, maybe late teens, early 20s, not, you know, still an adult. And the amount of diatribe on the internet about how disgusting the relationship is. How can this person be having a relationship with somebody 20 years younger than them? Blah, 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 blah. The moralism is ridiculous. And we know that that's there and exists massively with porn because the media, the mainstream media, has a wagging finger at porn, doesn't it, all the time. It doesn't matter how many times you say, actually, there are benefits from porn. People have a wagging finger that it's wrong and it's dirty and it's causing problems and it has... Um, you know, long-term consequences and that people are being trafficked and abused. And, and obviously that does exist, we know, but it doesn't exist on the scale they're talking about. And they're obviously, as you and I know, uh, Nikki, there is ethical porn as well. But now, of course, of course, we've got this situation coming up whereby everyone in the UK, is it? We're going to have to put, put forward loads of um, information about themselves before they are able to watch porn. Is that right? What's the latest? Your passport. You're going to have to put your passport details or some form of ID into any porn site, which also includes Twitter because Twitter has porn. So there are going to be these huge data banks just there waiting to be hacked um, of, of, you know, people, politicians who probably could be blackmails, whoever being like, we, we know all of this kinky stuff you're watching and we're going to tell the world because, you know, the world is run by a bunch of straight people that, as you've just said, Ash, cannot be honest about their attractions. No offence to our straight listeners. But I'm just like, the world is not ready to see everyone else's, what they're watching on porn. But the, yeah, the world not, is not ready to see you're just our mat- histories. Yes, you're exactly. just not mature enough. I'm sorry, it's just not no, mature I enough. I agree. Um, and I come at this really from the bi-parent angle more than the bisexual angle, which is, this is absolutely ridiculous. The, the, the reason this is being done is that the children... The children can go on their phones and type in porn. And I'm like, shut up. As a dad, if your child is accessing porn, that is your fault, right? Take some damn responsibility and raise your damn kids. I've already spoken to my 12-year-old years ago about porn. And we're in an unprecedented situation. It's not finding dad's dirty mags and stuff now. It is, you know, 4K literally going, you can see going inside people like gangbang, just all this unrealistic stuff. But... There, you know, my child knows that Superman's not real too, right? And so in that way, he should also know some of those things that he might come across is not real, and some of it is not legal. Um, and that I, as a parent, um, am, am able to have that discussion with him, and it's open. The only people that want porn banned are the people that can't talk to their kids about it. Like, oh, God, no. Um, they're the same people that, you know, just call over this one that made me laugh like that there was like loads of complaints once on i think it was like x factor or something because little mix were wearing like their underwear and they're like there's children watching and they're dancing in their underwear it's like who are you people like i don't who, understand who are these people my, these people with, my my problem my, prob- oh my, my problem with it is is that it, yeah you don't want obviously kids to be you know young kids to be seeing porn whatever as a boy of 15 16 um you know, you're curious and you will go out and search things out. That's As a girl you are. Yeah. I was younger than that. I probably was 13 when I was reading copies of my mum's Nancy Friday books, exactly, you know, exactly. and all that. But it's it, it's part of growing up. Of course it is. But, it, but what annoys me about the whole thing is the fact that... It, it, Yes, you can, like Lewis says, you can you can teach the the fact that it's not real and all these kind of things. And, and you know, obviously there are certain situations which um, can be abusive or whatever. All those kind of things you can talk about. But essentially, sex is 
part of nature and part it's part of our lives and what worries me is you you start to make whole generations which we've had many times in the past we're talking about the whole thing with the the, the bisexual guy who, who's thrown out of the navy you know you know that those attitudes you know existed in the past generally and caused problems for people and i thought we were starting to get over all that in the sense of people more open and liberal-minded understanding that is you know it, it, you don't want that oppression but it feels to me that there's now a whole generation growing up for other reasons because we've had other moral panics who are now growing up think probably thinking to themselves oh i can't do this at you know 18 19 or whatever or they're not quite ready for this or that or do you know what i mean it's it's there's like a it's like this this attitude still that somehow sex sex itself per se is dirty and they yeah, shouldn't be doing it I mean, absolutely know. i mean i think the real problem with porn is we've skipped a sort of very important argument which is that porn is okay and porn can help you and porn can be pleasurable and porn isn't a threat and we've gone straight to the exploitation discussion yes And this is because people have never, you know, governments have never embraced porn. You know, they've never fully understood what people are watching and why and how. And then they've never put any attempt to make, uh, you know, to bring in kind of uh, legislation that would protect performers or make sure that the content was of people of the right age, etc. And so the underground has kind of steered it. And so, but we've skipped that argument because we don't have the understanding and we felt moralistic about it to start with. You've just gone straight to the thing of the children and everybody is abused mm-hmm. in it. And we, and, it, and it's very, very toxic and it's very, very dangerous. And people like us, Ash, because we made that porn programme and, you know, we've been banging on about it for years, forgive the uh, turn <laughs> of phrase. You know, I mean, we know that people not engaging fully with the facts of what it is, is what leads to prejudice. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So then, still to come on this very packed bisexual brunch, uh, we've got a debate about Pan v. Bi coming up in just a few moments. We're going to be having our bisexual journey story with Mike Riss from Boston in the United States. And we've got Ask a Bisexual too. Lots to come, a very big very packed bisexual brunch continues in just a few moments you're listening to bisexual brunch now i wanted to open up the discussion on this pan v bi is it all the same really and you know i was thinking about this myself you know could i actually really be pan as well as bi you know are these are these terms interchangeable i just i just wonder whether you know, we should, as Bisexual Brunch, as a programme, we should be embracing more um, the, the pansexual world because, for me, it's like it, we're a, a family in that sense, in, in many ways. Uh, but but on a personal level, I was just thinking about whether or not I think of myself or could think of myself as pansexual, and I actually think I could because I know that I've um, been in situations where I've fancied trans men, for example. Um, so I, I reckon probably I am. I, I, I'm still bisexual. I, I, I would always, nearly always turn myself as bisexual. Um, but I, I could quite easily be pansexual too. Do you know what I mean? What about you, Nikki? How do you feel? Yes, I feel just the same, actually. And have had relationships with trans people. So it's like, it, it would have been, it was almost weird to them for me to describe myself as bi when I was with them. Some of them, some of them, because yeah. it depended on their identities as well. I think... Pan is great because it's Greek, it's fantastic as a word, and uh, it gives people the scope to encompass all aspects of their sexuality. Because actually, what, like what we were just saying about porn, 
you aren't just either or. You aren't just this sex and that sex. It's The pan is much more about the fluidity of your sexuality and about how you might really enjoy this with this person and you might really enjoy this about this person. So I like the encompassing term, but I am like you. I still want to fight for by brunch, obviously, because we changed the title to pan brunch. It wouldn't be quite as alliterative <laughs> or work. But, uh, but yeah. Pansexual I... pancakes. Ashley already had a discussion about this. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we've got, we've got a little off-sister program right there. <laughs> but you've got, you've got a slightly different take on this, haven't you, Lewis? Um, well, look, for me, I, I, I guess there is this kind of warrior activist in me that's kind of like, I'm bisexual, no one's convincing me to change from bisexual, even the liberal argument. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to change just because the, the gays over here said, oh, come on, or the straights over here said you're gay, or because anyone over here said, no, now you're pan. It's like, no, I am bisexual, leave me alone. That said, I don't really think this needs to be a, a an issue, really. I mean, I just think of bi and pan... Um, along with bi-romantic and, and lots of other titles, just falling under that bi-umbrella. And, and there are little differences here and there, and it's really on the individual of how you interpret those words and 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 what they mean to you and which one you identify with more. I think we're all still under that same bi-umbrella, so it never, to me, has felt like something we really need to have massive discussions on. Like, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're just brothers and sisters in the end. It's just like yeah. we're literally but- in the same pan if that makes sense. How do you, though, Lewis, think you identify? Because we, we had a discussion last week, didn't we, away from uh, the, the recording or whatever, where you seem to be saying that it is about the sex for you. Oh, so, so I was saying that one of the, the ways that I've interpreted, so obviously we know bi is an attraction to more than one gender, right? So that can incorporate, for me, that can incorporate trans men, non-binary people because that's that's more than one you know what i mean um the way i have maybe always interpreted um pan is that it doesn't really matter the body of the person like so sort of in in a weird sense you could rip out their soul and put it into a body uh someone else's body and, and that would be just fine whereas i've always felt as much as i'm attracted to people's soul you know so say if we took laura for instance if we took her and put her in a man's body uh, though I always love her, like her femininity and that, that that her personality and body go hand in hand. So that's part of the attraction for me, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's how someone moves in their body and what they express Yeah, like how they own and... themselves and how yes, they own their absolutely. femininity and that kind of thing. So that's not to be exclusionary of anyone, but I'm just saying that, oh, well, it's not like I'm just in love with people's souls and don't see their body. Like, I definitely see their <laughs> yeah, bodies. Yeah, it's, it's actually very insulting if someone just says, I'm only into you for your soul. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that to you? Because people have said that to me, and I'm like, great. Send, pay for my personal trainer, then, bitch. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, people have said outrageous things to me over the years, and I just rifle down, and then I bring them to the podcast. So you're all getting outed, people. Bringing us great content. But but there but there is there is there is that thing is there will be people who are listening and thinking, well, I'm not I'm not pansexual because actually it is about. The, the you know the masculinity of a man or the femininity of a woman or whatever. Having said that, it's all it's all complex, isn't it? I was watching um, Naked Attraction the other day. I do watch it. I admit oh, to watching Ash, it. Uh, this is Ash's little <laughs> secret. Like he always makes that because I don't like it, and so he always thinks he has to say, "Oh, it's all rubbish." But well, he, it's his guilty pleasure, isn't it? Ash? I watched it. The, I watched it the other night, and there's a guy. It was a cute guy on uh, blonde from Yorkshire, really York, real Yorkshire accent. He was straight, 
completely straight, but as camp as a row of tents. Really, really <laughs> camp. Really, really camp. But that was what it was really. It made him really attractive in a weird, weird sort of way because he was straight and camp. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, um, perfect combination. Was, so everyone's attracted by all sorts of different combinations and things, aren't they? But I think the upshot of this is that um, we welcome pansexuals. They're part of our club, as it were. And anybody who wants to get in touch with us or wants to share their stories of being pansexual, uh, they're welcome, aren't they? Please, pansexual pancakes is on the menu. <laughs> I think that should be like a, an after chat, maybe pansexual pancake. I'm like gunning everyone to like to actually record our podcasts, like the cameras, and put them on YouTube and stuff. But maybe we oh, can start with God, pansexual pancakes. No, <laughs> I, would, I would have never agreed to this meeting is being recorded. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I will allow. I think we should screenshot our happy faces, and everyone can see just how shit I look on Sunday morning. Because oh I, I like to show the dark side of the glamorous creature that I am. Let me take a Well, a little bit later on, we're going to be hearing from a 100... Well, we're not hearing from him particularly, because he doesn't say a great deal, actually. Oh, but, <laughs> Ash, you really set this up for me in the wrong way. When you said we were going to be talking to 190-year-old Jonathan the Tortoise, I was out of my mind with excitement. And I, and I know it's not actually him, it's his vet yes. that we've talked to. But I do feel like we could have got some noises. Yeah, me too. I was really looking forward to that. And maybe some noise of him having sex. Oh my God, I've been it too much. Well, we'll I don't, I don't, if, if, listeners, tortoise porn is not a thing. We'll, t- well, we'll, we'll, hear sure about him, we'll hear about him and discuss him a little bit uh, later on. But before we do that, we're going to hear this time's bisexual journey story. And it's from Mike Rist, who's in a gay-facing relationship. And he's from Boston. In America. Well, thanks for having me. I love the podcast. I think it's a great opportunity to share different perspectives. But my personal journey, I would say probably, obviously, um, started when I was younger. I think in um, like middle school, uh, a lot of kids would ask if I were gay, if I was actually a girl, just a lot of the things and, you know, bullied kind of hard for that. And so, I didn't really understand it because I was attracted to women at that point. Um, but I think over time, I slowly developed attractions. And um, so throughout high school, I think I kind of knew that I had some attraction. But in middle school, um, somebody said that bi men are really just gay. And that like, for some reason, I have this like vivid memory of that. And it really stuck with me. So I felt like I like had to pick a side. And so I think in college, I, I finally realized that like, oh, I don't just have like physical attractions to men and women, but I also have emotional attractions to men. I think that took me a while to connect, whereas I had had that with women already. So I came out maybe a year after I graduated undergrad. And um, I think this whole like trying to figure out... Um, if I had to pick a side, you know, I didn't want to hurt anybody um, and have anyone feel like they were an experiment. So I didn't really do anything with anyone. It was just like, you know, this long journey. But then I was like, I have to get out there, you know. And so I came out around uh, probably 2015. Um, First, just to uh, a friend of mine over text and then just kind of told my family, um, and from 
then on, yeah, I've just been pretty open about it. And living in Boston, people were pretty accepting and understood kind of. I felt like I had to defend it, which I did. I don't feel like I have to do that anymore. But yeah, I think that's the summary of it. Okay, so how old are you now? So I'm 29. You, you did, did you literally say, look, I'm bisexual? Is that what you said to people? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say uh, to my friend who I came out to, he was gay um, and out in college. And I just texted him like, I think I'm bi. And then I told my parents and I didn't necessarily use the word, um, but it was more like um, I'm attracted in that context. My vocabulary was limited. So I said men and women. Um, and kind of just all people and attracted to the individual. And so I am attracted to men, and that's something that I do want to pursue. And um, that's kind of how I came out to my my family in that uh, sense. Do you think they understood that? Do you think they yeah, understood I, my, the, con- the concept of, of being attracted to people of different genders? Do you think they got that? Or do you, yeah. think, or do you think they were thinking, or some of them might have been thinking, Oh, he's really trying to sell us that he's gay. Yeah, I think it was it was difficult. Um, my dad seemed pretty open to it. He said he had a lot of friends that just dated different people, and that I didn't necessarily have to put a label on it. I didn't have to focus on it; just like let it be. And um, I think, I think um, it took some time, maybe, for them to just kind of come to terms with it. But I think. Yeah, it was more people who don't really know me um, had trouble with that, where they really thought I was just gay. Um, And I think for myself, too, it still comes about where I'm like, oh, maybe I just am. But that's really just like from being bullied and in elementary or when I was like uh, 11 to 13 and even until now. So it's it's kind of just this like false notion. No, I understand. What what so what in terms of relationships then? What's your experience been so far? Have you have you sort of had relationships with men and women, or are you still sort of exploring all that? Where are you at with, at with that? Yeah, so back in my early twenties, I, I definitely dated men and women, and I felt it was hard to kind of come out to the women or continue the relationship for too long because I was afraid that they would just be hurt by my attraction to other genders. Um, so I kind of didn't communicate as much as I should have in there. And they were all pretty short things. None of them are like a relationship. But I in 2016, um, I got into kind of a long, well, not kind of, I'm in my current relationship. <laughs> um, so we've been together for about six years. Um, and so it was just me and my boyfriend, And then I moved to Atlanta for grad school, which I had ended up dropping out of because of some biphobia, tough life circumstances, program wasn't for me, Um, and moved back to Boston, and we've been um, together and monogamous since. So you're in a relationship with a man, another man. Yeah. Um, Is he gay? He's gay, yes. He's gay. And how has he coped with it? How was he right at the very beginning? And as your relationship changed and altered... And, you know, yeah, tell us a bit about how you've navigated that, because your attraction to another gender doesn't alter, does it? It still it stays there. It's still around. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, 
Well, it's kind of just like being anyone else. You always, like if you're watching, we watch a lot of Love Island, UK version is definitely the best. Um, so for like that instance of finding other genders attractive, um, I'll comment more on the women on the show, whereas he's more interested in the men and stuff like that. But navigating the relationship where he's gay and I'm bi actually has been super easy with him. Um, even when we first started dating, it wasn't really something that he brought up. Um, like trying to fit these like gay stereotypes really wasn't a co- conversation, you know? We just kind of were two individuals, which was really nice. I think sometimes I have trouble, trouble maybe navigating with some of his friends who are straight women. Um, they don't really understand the concept of me being bi, but also being in a monogamous relationship with a man. So I think my individual relationship with uh, my boyfriend is great, but then sometimes some of these spectators um, I have trouble with. And I mean, I also with some people that I I know as well. But Yeah, no, I understand that. So in terms of him and his um, reaction to it, was there a period of time when you you know came out to him you let him know that you were you were bisexual did he ever feel or did he ever question the whole notion of you being able to commit to him i don't think so <laughs> i don't think i it's at least never come up in conversation um and i think if anything it's like if there's jealousy or something acknowledging that you know that jealousy could also be present with somebody else and I don't think like the gender's really that much of the issue. It's more of like, yeah, yeah is this relationship exactly. going well? I know you exactly know? what you mean. I'm asking that question because there are people who who will be listening who will be thinking, you know, they're the questions, they're the things that they've come up against. You know, as a, I mean, I'm, yeah. in like, I'm in a similar kind of situation to you. I've been in a relationship with somebody for, oh God, 15 years. <laughs> you know, he's he's perfect. He's fine. He's got no problem with. Um, with me, you know, with me being bisexual at all. In fact, he starts to question himself sometimes. He's like, "I wonder if I'm bisexual." I'm not, we eventually get to the conclusion that he's not, but he, he, yeah. yeah, he attempts to work out or try and understand where I'm coming from. You know, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, no, no. It's, so, so basically, so yeah, you're in. The, the, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, isn't it? You're in a relationship with a man, and it's a monogamous relationship. Yet you feel it's important for people to know and people to understand that your identity is bisexual you're bisexual you 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 can have uh relationships with other genders let's say other genders because i'm you're probably like me in the sense that i I don't know about you but i think i think the the lines between bi and pan are quite blurred in a way in in some respect um but you can have you know and it's important for me to, to let people know that i'm bisexual even though i've not had a relationship with a woman for many many years you know but i do still fancy women and all the rest of it just tell us why do you think why is it important for you why is that an important part of your identity yeah i mean this is the million dollar question really because i this is i go through this often like why do i have to constantly say or stand up for how i am but really it's it's kind of a word that's used to describe my experience in general and I want people to understand where I'm coming from and that my experience or my thoughts or how I perceive myself and my life is different than how the word gay kind of captures that or at least how society uses that word. I think there's probably plenty of gay men who are have similar feelings to me but their perspective is 
different than than mine um you know and i mean there's probably straight people who have the same experience as me as well um and i feel like it's important because i i do i don't always feel comfortable in say like a straight setting or a gay setting so giving people that kind of like heads up like this is my experience this is how i view things is important because some of these situations aren't always going to be the most comfortable for me. And um, just acknowledging, it's kind of a way to just acknowledge my individuality and just my experience and what things mean to me. Yeah, because there's a lot of assumptions, isn't there? There's a lot of, if you're in a relationship with a, you know, somebody of the same sex or somebody of different sex, or whatever, the people assume certain things. They assume certain things about yeah. your lifestyle and certain things about, you know who you who you who you're attracted to and all that kind of thing and yeah it, it's quite important so so in that you, you say there are there are people who um come in the way a little bit and cause issues and sort of and whatever tell us a bit about that what kind of problems do you come up against what kind of challenges do you come up against with other people who don't quite understand what being bisexual means to you yeah so um i guess the the one that probably happens to most people is like asking for my sexual history. Um, and I told my mom that recently that I get asked that all the time. And she's like, that's so inappropriate. Like you would never ask anyone. I'm like, yeah. It, and you think it's normal at first because that's the question you always get. And it's just not, you know, I, I felt like I had to justify like, oh, I've kissed the same number of guys and girls, but I don't have such a long sex history, you know? So that's where it, it was like, troublesome and and I think oftentimes um, a lot of straight women see that I'm in um, a relationship with a man so they assume I'm gay and they feel that they can touch me inappropriately or um, talk about me as if I'm an object of some sort and that really makes me very uncomfortable and I get for some men if they're not seeing any physical touch as sexual then it's appropriate but from my experience, that is something that I view as sexual and it makes me uncomfortable if it's not consensual interaction. And I'm in a relationship with somebody, so it's uncomfortable for having someone being so aggressive to me while I'm with my partner, my boyfriend. So that's one. And then I just have had other people just say, oh, you can't be bisexual. Like you have to pick a side. And it's like you think you're always prepared to answer that question, but sometimes it's it's like scary and you're just like, well, I mean, I've picked a partner or like, you know, like, and then I get kind of flustered, like, oh, I should have answered that better. But I think that question happens a lot or people are just like, well, do you have a preference? And I'm like, it's complicated, you know? Um, and then I think sometimes this one experience I've had is, trying to explain my experience and acknowledging that it's different than people ask if or get mad and saying that I'm playing oppression Olympics and people just I'm doing it for attention or I want people to feel sorry for me and that really hurt because it caused me to question like am I or all that but I really was just trying to express my experience and acknowledge that I should be viewed from my experience, or I want to try to be viewed that way. So those have been some obstacles. One of the topics on, on this week's show, you probably heard 
some of it already and we may end up returning to it um, towards the end of the program um, is about um, internalized uh, biphobia that we all sort of feel in a way um, yeah about ourselves guilt about ourselves and about our identity and um, Lewis um, answered a question um, on one of the websites that he writes for uh, recently about you know some guy who's in a in a relationship with a a woman who happens to be bisexual um, starts to feel guilty that he was he'd been watching gay porn. He felt as though that wasn't it wasn't appropriate because he was now in a relationship with a woman and why was why was he doing that kind of you know why should he be you know yeah I think so I read that he's article. starting to feel a bit guilty guilty about that yeah um, and I think that can happen the other way around can't it because I don't know about you but I find sometimes when I've you know maybe watched some straight porn or whatever or you know been attracted to women and start, you know there are times your hormones sort of alter and you think oh you know I fancy her or whatever it may be you start to feel a bit weird and a bit guilty with with on the on the on the male to male side it always feels as though you're like sort of letting the side down as though you sort of because everyone's campaigned for years and years and years for you know equal rights and blah 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 it's like oh my god i'm i'm you know i'm abandoning the my you know th- these people kind of thing. do you know where i'm coming from do, 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 have you ever experienced yeah. that yeah i think i i think i did when i was in atlanta i was heavily criticized for wanting to hang out with a lot of straight people and i had a close by friend who was great to have a support at that time in my life um but i i felt like more guilty in the sense of letting down more of the the queer side by wanting to do these i guess straight things by going to straight bars but i mean i'm going to dance and I don't know, sing like female pop songs at these places. It's not like, I don't know. It's not like the most masculine straight thing to do. Um, And so that's where I felt like letting kind of my queer side down. But I think a lot of times I um, more so feel like I, since I'm in a same sex relationship, I have this internalized by phobia saying more so that like oh I'm just gay and I'm not really straight and I'm just lying to everyone and that's something that I like discuss I'm in therapy and I have like the greatest therapist who's very bioaffirmative and he's great um and so then there's moments where it's like I go to a con I like see a I'll just use celebrities because it's like the easiest like I went to Casey Musgraves concert and I'm like oh she's fit um cool. I'm glad that I, I'm not lying to myself. Um, I think that's more of like my internalized biphobia and not necessarily like this sense of guilt towards having attractions. I think in the past I had that, but I've worked towards that to be like, it's okay to have these feelings. And even if I'm in a monogamous relationship, I don't want to do anything it's just my reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Let, let's talk a bit about that, about that whole thing of attraction, because uh, you know people who are navigating the whole area of being of being bisexual, or, you know, and deciding, you know, because the weird thing is, of course, because nobody talks about bisexuality early on. You know, everyone comes to this later on in a way. You know, I mean, you you came to yeah. it relatively early. Actually, a lot of people don't realize these things till in the thirties or forties or whatever. 
and they've been questioning it all their life and just been you know just haven't realized it's funny because i thought i was late too but when i came out one of my friends came out as bi yeah and was like you're so lucky that you're so young figuring this out yeah no definitely definitely there are lots of people who lose loads of time you know and it's it's quite sad in fact quite a lot of people have come come up to us you know since we started bisexual brunch have said you know, it's bisexual brunch that made them realise, and you know, they're sort of some of them yeah, in their fifties. You know, it's 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 crazy, really. Um, so, on that attraction side of things, so that's the question I want to ask you: is you're in a mono- and I, I probably know this answer because I'm I'm in a similar situation, but you're in a monogamous relationship with a guy. Um, there will be people out there thinking, well, you're sexually attracted. You're saying you're sexually attracted to women and other genders. Um, how can you possibly contemplate living the rest of your life and not having sex with a woman or somebody of another gender? Um, explain that to us. Where does that come from? How do you deal with that? And, you know, tell us maybe a bit more about your own attraction side of things, you know, the scale of things. Because I know people, some people are more, some people are more emotionally attracted to some people and more sexually attracted to others. And also, let's face it, you know, sex is not just about going and having sex with somebody physically there are other yeah. things we can do we know that but what i mean is how do you deal with that in your mind now it might not be you're probably going to say to me well how does anybody who's gay or straight deal with that in their mind because they can be in a monogamous relationship yeah. they're not going to have any you, you know what i mean so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you in, in playing devil's advocate in a sense um yeah because i know these are the kind of questions that people will be asking and and sadly a lot of bisexual people who haven't, who haven't navigated the arena and are being and have their world sort of polluted, I suppose, by all these notions yeah. will also be thinking that. So how, go on, explain it to us from your perspective. Yeah, I think that was definitely a fear of mine when I was coming to terms with like, okay, like I am bisexual. I did a lot of reading and a lot of them led to, you know, people having um, different partners or cheating and stuff like that. And that worried me. I was like, this isn't what I envisioned for my life. And, um, so then I was like, well, I just have to give it a try, you know, like be with somebody. And the way that I, I kind of navigate that would be growing up. I really kind of prioritized an emotional connection or maybe it's just who I am or how I was raised, but that emotional connection was more important to me than, like uh, physical or sex in general. Um, so I think that's kind of how it works uh, for me. And I think in the past, I, I definitely struggled with being like, oh, like I'm not going to be able to be in a relationship with a woman because I'm going to want to have sex with men and vice versa. And I'm just going to have to be alone. But that's not really how it works. It's more of just this fear of being in a world, in a society that prioritizes the binary of sexuality um and so i'd say personally it's like it's hard because like you have an individual attraction to a person and so when you try to like sum it up with like percentages or who you find more attractive it's tough and i don't want people to get the wrong message but i'd say in general i develop a strong emotional connection with a woman and then develop more of a sexual physical attraction. Um, not again, not always the case. Sometimes it's the other way around. And then more commonly with men, I'll have a physical attraction and then um, develop a, an emotional connection that way. And again, not always that way. So I'm like more 
emotionally connected to women more frequently and then men it's physically more and and but I'm in a relationship with a man so I'm getting both of those met and I think when we think about these broad definitions of men women and stuff you're not really seeing like that individual. And so I'd view it that way where it's like, oh, like a man won't be able to please me this way. A woman won't be able to please me this way. But in reality, I met an individual who meets most of those needs. I don't think anyone's going (laughs) to meet every every single thing you need. And that's why relationships... He'll be pleased pleased to hear that, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think he knows. It's like it takes time to communicate your wants and your needs and and you have to compromise in many ways. And, and it's not in the sense of like, oh, I'm not getting this. It's a bad relationship. It's like, in reality, I'd say 90% of what I want is getting met. And then you have to work out that like, that difference between you and the other individual. Does your your sexuality play into your physical connection with your partner? You know, we've heard in, in certain other um, interviews where um, people who are in... Um, relationships uh where they're bisexual but they're a man who's in a relationship with another with a woman and 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 is obviously open that that is sexual attraction to to men there have been certain people where their female partners have revealed that actually they quite like the idea of two guys and 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 you know they start talking about it and i don't think they've ever acted upon it but it, it becomes part of fantasies and all that kind of thing as as any of your your other side uh, or the or other sides because we're not you know we're talking about you know it's non-binary and all sorts of things um you know yeah. has any of your other side sort of played into your or or sort of added to your physical sort of life with your partner at all or is it or is that an ongoing is it are we getting there is it something that's a, a gradual thing um i don't think so i think it's like pretty just like you know we're like in this relationship and I'm sure as it moves on things will you know continue and we discuss as our wants and needs change as we grow older but at the moment that's not really something that I want I don't think he really wants or or is even like choosing me because I'm bisexual I think it's more you know we're two individuals that love each other yeah Yeah, i mean i'm kind of boring you know (laughs) (laughs) no you're not no you're not but what about but what about your attraction to 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 women you know what what do you you know do you do you do anything about that is what i'm trying to say um i i don't really think so because again it's like (laughs) the emotional connections like a priority so we'll watch like love island where everyone's just like in their bathing suit walking around and it's like um, you know, like, oh, I'm attracted to them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm attracted to him. I don't know. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. But then like in the end, it's like, that's kind of more of a fantasy. Yeah, of course. And so like, maybe I'll think about it once in a while, but yeah. in the moment, it's more of like this one-on-one individual thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's something that I've, you know, I think I real I think I realised it quite early on, actually. But it, I always found it quite frustrating because I was, uh, I started um, in my um, early years. I, I tended to spend most of my time going out to gay bars and clubs and things. Yeah. And, and obviously, as you've just alluded to, a lot of the time, it does tend to be 
you know, the sexual attraction between men straight away, and then you eventually find the emotional attraction. But there are loads of people, I found a lot of gay men who were very, you know, unless they found the perfect sexual partner, they weren't prepared to keep the relationship going or or, or carry on getting to know somebody. Do you know what I mean? So often yeah. they'd, they'd, they'd give up on a relationship very, very quickly. Um, I, I know friends of mine are gay, are gay still in that situation. You know, they've still not found partners because they, they're not prepared to, you know, to sort of to hold out and, and to realise that a relationship is a bit, is a bit more which which is what brings me to the, the thought and I'm I literally I'm just thinking thinking um out loud here to what you said about starting a relationship with a woman or, or getting to know a woman emotionally and then it becoming sexual eventually I wonder as bisexual people because we experience both sides we understand both sides whether we're and I don't want to put us on a pedestal and say we're better than everybody else but in some respects yeah. whether we are a little bit it, it is easier for us to to understand that a relationship isn't just about the pure physical attraction thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That actually, yeah. There, there is more to it. Um, this is, I suppose this is me talking as a bisexual man as opposed to a bisexual yeah, woman. I was going to say. Do you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of men, both straight and gay, it's the physical that comes first, isn't it, often? Do you know what I mean? Whereas I'm not yeah. sure. I think as bisexual men, are we a bit different, do you think, in that sense? Um, I don't know. So I, I think I, um, I'd say there's definitely an internal journey that, you know, a lot of bisexual men definitely have to work through and uh, bisexual women, bisexual, non-binary people have to go through. Um, but I'd say for like growing up, like I didn't, I always question whether I was straight because I, I didn't fan like sorry I'm talking Love Island language because <laughs> I hear the accent I didn't like fancy every girl that I saw so I was like um oh maybe I'm I am just gay but then there's like the women that I was like oh no I really like them and then um and kind of with men it was like I was brought up you know like a man has to think sexually all the time and that has to be a priority and so then I was like, okay, maybe I am just gay. And then I was like, no, I like value an emotional connection more than a physical one. Um, again, that's that's a personal thing. And and I, I think having quite a few friends that are bi, I think a lot of them really do value this emotional connection um, for sure. Like, um, like I have a friend and he's bi, but mostly only dates men um i'd say exclusively at this point in his life and even if they're like like really good looking guys he's just like that emotional connection's not there i'm not into it you know and then and same with a lot of the the bi women i know it's it's definitely a, an emotional connection is is something that is prioritized so i think that's kind of like society prioritizes or they can you know it's a good narrative to sell that like you should prioritize sex, but a lot of the times that emotional connection is really valuable. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting what you yeah. say about your friend there. You, you, I mean, it's also interesting for you to say actually you've got a lot of bi friends because most yeah, people we interview I haven't. Um, so that's that's interesting. Maybe things are changing. Ho hopefully they are. But um, but yeah, that party friend you just mentioned there, who who only more well almost exclusively dates by uh, men at the moment. 
there'll be people yeah. listening to this who who are straight or gay who will well i would hope we'd have straight or gay listeners as well as by listeners yeah <laughs> uh, but we'll be listening to this thinking well he's not he's not bi then is he he's he's, he's gay do you know what i mean they won't. Yeah. They won't be able to get it in the head that actually, because to some people it's about what you physically do. So that so there'll be people listening, listening, thinking, well, he must be gay. He's got to be gay. What, what, you know, you know what I mean. But it's not as, it's not as simple as that, is it? And I mean, you're demonstrating no. it as well because you're in a monogamous relationship, and the same with me, with a man. And you know, there'll be people out there saying, why don't you just get over it? You're all gay for heaven's sake. That's what they say, don't they? Yeah. And so part of me is just like, sure, you can think that. That's not who I am. I'm probably not going to give you time of day, though, if you're not trying to understand me. And it is interesting because I, I am lucky that I do have a lot of bi friends. I don't know whether all of them would use that label, but definitely a lot of discussions about being attracted to multiple genders. And I have friends that are women that will exclusively probably only date women, other women or other non-binary people. Um, and then I have some male friends that pretty much exclusively date men but are bi because yeah. of their experience and how they view their attraction. And I think oftentimes these bi people aren't using a label um, because they're just trying to fit into a community. And so if people want to call them gay or lesbian, they're pretty comfortable with that or they find solace in that community. And so they'll use that term because that's where they feel they fit in most. And But in like when it comes down to it, they do have attraction across the spectrum yeah, yeah. and they're kind of okay with that. And then I do want to say, like, I also have friends that are in straight presenting relationships that are also bi yeah. and, and, and they've kind of worked that out being like, this is the setting that I, I feel comfortable in. It's not like a hundred percent who I am, but, um, it's okay for people to perceive me that way because this is how it's being presented. Do you know many people who are, who are bi who are in relationships with other bi people? Because I don't. You see, I, I was thinking that the other day. I don't think. No, I, I don't think I do either. I think we've interviewed one couple yeah. on bisexual brunch who realised they were both bisexual, a, a male and female couple. And they realised eventually that they were both bisexual, and now they're having a, a purple period, <laughs> enjoying themselves. And now they've realised yeah. that they're both bisexual. Um, but but yeah no it's, it's it's strange isn't it um so how why do you think you know uh, compared to the rest of us who have been talking why do you think you know so many bisexual people how has that happened do you think um i think i'm just so open about it and maybe at nauseam to a little bit i hope not um and i think people just feel comfortable just sharing that with me um and i think that's why i don't think most of them go around you know saying or like projecting that they're bi. But to me, it was something that was important just because of how I grew up and my experience and my sense of self. So, and I felt like it wasn't something that was being talked about. So I was like, yeah, like I, I could be this person to talk through it. It was a hard thing for me. And if it helps anyone, and that's why I like this podcast so much. It gives like a platform <laughs> Do you notice any, in, in talking to these people, who you've met who are who, who you know are, are either very openly bisexual or you know maybe they don't label themselves but actually you know in terms of their yeah. experiences are bisexual or pansexual or whatever um, do you notice any similarities in their experiences i mean have, have they you know you you've told me about no. the difficulties yeah. you've had yeah. have they been through the same things 
I honestly think all of them have been through such different experiences. I think a lot of them do struggle with this, like, being different, maybe, to an extent. Um, And I think a similarity, actually, is where their worlds kind of meet. I think a lot of us do have many stakes in, like, the straight community or gay community or any other, you know, it's just like these... we're able to like have friends that identify in so many different ways that um, because of who we are, I think we're able to just kind of see where different people are coming from. And, and we have interests that are directly tied to both of those. Since you, since you, you are quite openly bisexual and, and have, you know, communicated about it, has anybody come up to you, maybe, I don't know, younger people or anybody you know who's thought, actually, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to trust this person and tell reveal to you that they're yeah. bisexual? Yeah. Yeah, I've had people tell me in confidence, like, oh, you know, like, I, I do understand where you're coming from. Like, I don't think bi is the label for me or... Um, I'm trying to figure it out or I don't really necessarily want to figure it out. I'm comfortable where I'm at, but like, I understand where you're coming from. I think that's, that's a common thing or people are like, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I think I'm comfortable with the experiences that I've had, but I wouldn't be opposed to a new experience like that. Um, definitely. I think lots of people tell me that in confidence and I'm not really trying to blow up their spot or anything. Um, but yeah, but that makes me feel good yeah, because even if they're not using the same label as me, um, I know that they'll understand where I'm coming from and that I can be myself around them if I'm like just being annoying and like being like, oh, like I think the celebrity's hot just to like remind people <laughs> that I am bi, you know? Yeah, it is prick of what? What's that? What's that? Um, so. Do you, I mean, what do you think? I mean, we, obviously, everyone is different. Everyone's experience is different, and and all the rest of it. But do you think there? Do you think there are areas that that you know society needs to change in order to support bisexual people? So Lewis talks a lot about being a a bi dad, for example, and how things are never you know nobody ever discusses that or mentions that to anybody that. You know, you can happen to be, you know, a bisexual man who's having having relationship with and sex with another man, and there are issues there. We know, and blah blah blah, and all the rest of it. But nobody ever sort of, and we 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 have a lot of talk these days about gay dads and things like that. Um, I mean, that's just one area. For, you know, um, being a, you know, being a being a father, being a parent, that kind of thing. But there are lots of other things, aren't there? You know, just just um, you know, is there anything, is there anything that you think is could be done to really help? Um, and we know we're a long way behind on this. We we know that bisexuality yeah. is still, you know, still a long way to go in terms of people understanding it. But is there anything in particular that you think um, would help bi people to navigate what is quite a difficult area in a binary society? Yeah, I think it's more of like a, a taking more of an intersectional approach and and how we view people um, is a good way. Of kind of breaking, I think communities serve a very important purpose as we are humans and relying on communities and community affiliation is central to us functioning as humans. I think slowly breaking that down and acknowledging that we are more complex than these simple boxes we try to label people in um, and just look at individuals like, oh, this person feels this way, but they're still a person just like me. They just have a different 
take on life. And I think viewing that more and like taking a step back, like, yes, we're going to have initial judgments, but like, why don't we take a step back and think about those judgments and how they relate to how we perceive the world would be my guess. And I think the way our conversation about gender is moving, I think is very important um, because I think even being bisexual, it's a sexual orientation. It is very different than gender, but oftentimes sexual orientation is so linked to gender and how we present as the gender that we're um, identifying as that um, it kind of allows people to be like, you know, like I'm a cisgendered man and, but I don't meet every male expectation, you know, and that kind of has to do with me being bisexual. Like I like men and I like, you know, some more feminine things. And I think people are like, oh, that's okay. You know, that's who he is. So you'd, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but you'd, you'd contemplate if you weren't in a relationship now, a monogamous relationship, and you met somebody yeah. who was um, trans or non-binary, yeah. you would consider a relationship with somebody who's trans or non-binary. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. It's more about the individual, and you know, like, um, kind of again that emotional connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I fully agree with you. Which brings me to the to another question that we've been um, posing on this particular show, and that is the interrelationship between bisexuality and pansexuality. Yeah, it, it's my feeling that. I think there. I mean, people who are pansexual will probably say, might say, there is definitely a big difference. But I think I could. I don't know about you, but I think I can quite easily identify myself as both bi and pan in a way. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I usually um, just because I'm afraid people are going to have a different interpretation of bisexuality than me. I usually say I'm bi, pan, or just queer is fine. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely can ascribe to that identity as well. I think for me, it was, I think a lot of bi people like have to do research on their sexuality before they come to terms with it because it is, you know, not as broadcast. Um, and so that's where I found like some sort of connection was through that, that research and it was through bisexuality and, and just obviously that term has evolved and, become more inclusive as our language has become more mainstream inclusive. But I think there's definitely a, a history with it. And I think Lewis talks about this a lot and, and how it relates to research. And and that's kind of like the term that has a lot associated with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily seeking out like a bi community, but I, I, I do relate to it. And I find it's the easy way for me to find out more about myself and and connect with others so yeah no it's, it's interesting yeah do you think that's something we've, we've been talking about constantly as you know because you listen to it to us all the time um and i suppose we don't we'll never get this complete answer but do you, do you, you know do you think there is a bisexual identity that we have do you think there is and that could be a bisexual pansexual identity i suppose but is there a is are there similarities between all of us do you think you know do you think we're do you think there are certain traits that that, I mean, somebody was saying the other day on a bisexual forum over here, actually, and this was about sex, because obviously we have this, there is this notion, isn't everyone thinks that everyone's bisexual is just enjoying themselves all the time. But basically, there is, you know, somebody was saying that they reckon that 
and quite a lot of people are agreeing, bisexual people are agreeing, they reckon that a lot of bisexual people do have higher sex drives. So that's one controversial thing. But no, it, I don't mean necessarily about sex. I mean, it could be about yeah. emotions, it could be about attitude, whatever. Do you think there are similarities between the people you've met, um, both in terms of people you've inter- interacted with maybe online and the people you know in real life? Yeah, um, I think it's a good question. I think it... you often ask like why people are afraid of using the label and and I've thought about that and I think a lot of the individuals that I know are more about um just kind of like going with the flow or um again more individual and not really wanting to fully subscribe to a group um so I definitely think there's an identity there in the sense that like kind of more open-minded and wanting to see things from a different perspective and acknowledging that there are multiple perspectives and things aren't necessarily so straightforward in life. But I think when it comes down to it, so many people fall, if you want to look at sexuality as a spectrum, they fall so far in between like a binary sexuality that it is kind of hard to bring everyone together. And I think if you do have that identity. It's more acknowledging that everyone's different, but you know we have this open-mindedness. Would be my my guess. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think we all seem to be coming slowly coming to that conclusion, don't we? You were talking earlier on about not necessarily always fitting into the gay side, not always fitting into the straight side of things, and therefore it was important to express your, your bisexuality. Just just reflect on that a little bit because I know lots of people, gay people as well as bisexual people actually, who've had who felt uncomfortable for whatever reason it may be on the gay scene. They are gay or they're bi or whatever, but they felt quite uncomfortable. There's something about it that that they don't like. And then there are other people who don't feel necessarily very comfortable in the straight world in Britain, you know, football's a big thing. They don't feel very comfortable around yeah. guys who are into football and all that kind of stuff. What what are the things that have been problematic for you on both of those sides? Yeah, I mean, I can keep it kind of kind of not a little superficial, but just like trying to fit in with straight guys. It's like I don't watch American football. I tried. I don't get it. I don't really like baseball. I played basketball growing up, so I'm down for that. And I really found tennis to be a lot of fun because it's men and women's and or a variety of people play it. So that's really where I've moved my focus, which is great. And then I think trying to fit in with a lot of gay men, it's like I don't always listen to the same music and I'm kind of I feel like I'm being gatekeeped. Like, oh I'm you're are you really gay if you don't know like Celine Dion or Shania Twain I don't and it's bad because my boyfriend knows all of it like (laughs) the whole category and I'm like who sings this and I confuse all of them and it's like I listen to more kind of modern music and which is very queer but it's not like historically what's associated with gay white men I guess um so I guess those are two just areas where it's like I really struggle being this kind of like toxic masculine man who's like very focused on how all their sports teams doing. And I don't really care about like, you know, pop divas. I just care if whether the music's good. And then, of course, on the gay scene as well, you have this thing, don't you, where there's lots of tribes. You know, if you're you're in a gay club, you have to fit in a particular tribe. And I've never fitted in that at all. Have you? 
No. Yeah. And I just even the idea of trying to fit in even more and like change yourself is like really hard. And I think that was difficult coming out as bi and then people wanting me to change again. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just want to do what I want. And just the idea of like subdividing my category even more and using all it just doesn't really fit with me. It's like, I just kind of want to do my thing. I don't really want to be held back or limited. Yeah, which 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 brings us to the question of of, of, of by identity again and whether or not, yeah. you know, again, we've talked about this, you know, the people who we know wear purple hair and all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, apparently there's a bit of a thing for Marvel and all those kind of things. Apparently a lot of yeah, bi people are not into, a big not into it Marvel at all. person not into it at all. <laughs> I don't get it. Don't get it. But apparently there's a bit of a thing for that. Uh, and various other things about the way you cross your legs or something I saw once. Or oh, the sitting, sitting thing? thing that, I think that's funny. Yeah. yeah. I guess I kind of sit weird, but not really. <laughs> but, what, but what I mean is, you know, you know, we talk about a bi-identity. I wonder if there ever, you know, because people would like people would, people would like to have something, wouldn't they? And there's something to hold on to and say, well, that is a bi-identity. But I wonder yeah. if actually there, there isn't one, really. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I think it, it's, again, really individual. I think we can try, you know, like I cuff my pants because that's apparently a trendy thing by people do. Um, and sometimes I try to dress in a way where it's like, do people think I'm straight or do they think I'm gay? And we're all trying to figure it out um, type of thing. But again, I just don't think at this moment there fully is. And I think there's a lot of efforts to make one. And I think that would help so many people. I don't think it's something that I necessarily need because I've been lucky to find a group of diverse sexually orientation friends um, where I feel comfortable, which is great. You know, I'm always open to more bi friends though. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess I, I, it's not something that, no. that I necessarily need. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand that. And then, and then just throw, just throwing this in a second, you know, because everyone talks about yeah. binary, non binary all the time and, and, yeah. and, and, and that side of things. Um, so there's a blurring of the edges around gender. Um, do you think? And, and yeah, and let's let's you know for anybody who's listening, there is a difference between gender and sexuality, and people yeah. shouldn't really get them yeah, conf- yeah, get them sure. confused. But do you think there is a a similarity in a way between these things? Is there is there a, is there a blurring of? I mean, you, you you hinted at it earlier on. You know, is there? You know, if if somebody's non-binary. You know, is there a connection between? And I, I actually know quite a lot of people who are trans who are bisexual, by the way, which is which I always find. Yeah, quite interesting. I think statistics show that a large percentage of trans and non-binary people are bi pansexual. Um, don't fully quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure I read that. Um, and I think it does. Like, I think if you look at gender expectations of a man, it's to marry a woman, and so if you're marrying a man, then a lot of people view you as more feminine and not necessarily fitting that gender role. So I think being bi, you kind of have to come to terms with your gender as well. Um, I can't really talk about that in reverse as like my orientation, sexual orientation is more of what I've come to grips with. And I think I've, I definitely am on like a gender journey. I'm very comfortable being a cis man, but I, I do struggle with how people perceive me that way or how I'm, um, pre- presenting myself because I don't meet a lot of those expectations that people place on it. But um, 
a lot of times people think I am going to, you know, and then get upset when I'm not meeting those. So it is a weird, yeah, no, weird I, thing I, that I get that takes there's, time. There's a feeling, there's a feeling that men, well, you know, whether you're gay or bi or whatever or straight, you know, that's about that's that's what men do. Men do that. You know, everyone thinks that they've got. They, they might not say it, but it's in their mind, isn't it? It could be things like, um, I don't know. It could be your, you know. You, somebody's moving loads of furniture or something and it's assumed that it has to be the yeah. man that's going to do it. You know what I mean? Not a woman, you know, the men must Yeah, but a lot of times, like, people will be like, well, you know, we'll, we'll get real men to do it. You don't have to do anything to me. And I'm like six, almost six two and, yeah. you know, a decent weight. So it's like, I'm not, I don't know. It's like this weird thing, well, and then useless, people say I'm, I'm intimidating. Practical so. anyway. I'm just nightmare. That if they want me to move, move some furniture, I'm, bound, I'm probably going to drop it anyway. So there's no point asking. <laughs> so okay. So the final final question then is: I ask everybody, of course, you hear this is you know what, what you, you've come to terms with being bisexual. It seems that you're very comfortable with it, um, and happy. Sounds like you're really happy. What is the best thing then about being able to, you know? identify yourself as bisexual um yeah good question i'd say it's just being more open-minded you know just like trying to meet everyone's expectations or assume what i don't know it's just being open-minded about like how things are going to play out and it's not always what you're seeing around you you know it, it is definitely a complicated life journey you know and and i think that helps you know like i'm not going to fully understand everything but it at least give me the chance to take a step back and try do you think when you say open-minded do you think it, it when you say watch love island or you walk down the street yeah. or you're just in a cafe watching people the world go by or whatever do you you know often obviously people you're attracted to people's physical attributes sometimes or whatever but sometimes it might be quirky things that person does the accent or you know, it could be anything that, that, that you know, do you think, it, do you think your bisexuality means that you're, you're much more open to understanding the attractiveness of a person more widely, if you know what I mean? You know, you, you might see somebody that you don't instantly find attractive, man or woman or non, you know, but non binary. Yeah. Um, but there might be things that, that grow on you as you get to talking to them or whatever it may be. Do you, do you know what I mean? Do you think? Do you think? Do you think yeah, being bisexual 100%. enables you to do that more? Do you think? Uh, yeah, maybe, or maybe they're just you know correlated. Um, but I definitely think my attractions have changed as I've gotten older and just being more open to different types of people. You know, like growing up, I was really just about women, and look at me now in a relationship with a man for six years. So, um, yeah, I definitely think the attractions definitely changed, and I'm kind of more open and you know with with people and finding more attraction and and people that aren't necessarily fitting stereotypes that we kind of grew up with as the definition of like what conventional attractiveness is even though i do watch love island and it's very (laughs) conventional it's just like it's cool to see like i don't know how different yeah absolutely so what is it what is it about your partner then that what, what what attracted you to your per- partner in the first place? What's the main What's the main thing that's kept you going for six years? Do you think? What is it? What is What are his attributes? Here you go. It's time to be nice to him on on the radio. On the yeah. radio. <laughs> I think I was pretty nice for the most part. He's just very easygoing. So we both are are um, 
you know, pretty individual. And um, I think we give each other space to, to be ourselves without trying to control each other too much, which is, I think, great for a relationship and maybe not always viewed as what a relationship should be. And, you know, he's got a really great smile and great eye contact, I think was the first thing I noticed on our first dates. So there you go. Fantastic. No, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm the same with my partner. Very easy going, very laid back. Never really argue. Um, doesn't get annoyed if I go out for an hour or two. Isn't going to question me 20 million times about what be, what I've been doing. We don't have, you know, some couples have this thing, don't they, where they, there's nights when they there's nights when they spend spend together, and other nights when they have time with friends, and you know, it's all sort of done in a sort of structured way. Well, you know, there's none of that with us. We just just get on with it, you know. So um, it's yeah. nice. It's nice to nice to have that. And also, there was none of that thing at the beginning of our relationship where there was, you know, like there's often, certainly in relationships I've had with with men and women, there's often a bit of a game going on as to whether you call yeah. them back or you don't call them back and all this kind of thing. Whereas we just, we, we realized we liked each other and just got on with it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because um, my boyfriend definitely was, he like messaged me a lot and I was, wasn't really available. And, and then, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And then it worked out really well. So we kind of joke about that. Good. Well, it's lovely to talk to you, Mike. Um, keep um, pushing the, the, the cause, as it were, uh, in Boston. And, uh, and, you know, and if you come across any of your bisexual friends or pansexual friends who would like to tell their story, um, let us know. Because as you say, as you said before, every story is individual, isn't it? Everyone's different. So Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for letting me share my story okay that was our bisexual journey story with mike wrist in boston interesting stuff um now we're going to the other side of the world we're going all the way down to the south atlantic to check in with a very important person 190 year old jonathan who's a blind tortoise who's a big bit of a celebrity in st helena and we've been talking to his vet Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. So joining us from St. Helena is the Chief Veterinary Officer for the island, um, who is Joe Hollins. Joe, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on Bisexual Brunch to talk to us about what possibly is the oldest bisexual uh, creature in the world, but I gather actually the old one of the oldest creatures or the oldest creature in the world. Is that right? Oh, delighted to be with you. Um, not the oldest creature in the world, but the oldest land animal in the world. Uh, because uh, if you look into the sea, you've got all sorts of wonders like corals, and Greenland sharks. And I was reading only yesterday, sponges under the Arctic, which are hundreds of years old and they're classified as animals. That's interesting. That's interesting. But he's the oldest land mammal, as you say. Land animal. That's land right, animal. because he's a reptile. Yeah, he's a reptile. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's take this back a little bit. Um, we obviously can't go back completely 190 years, but, but just from, no. your, from, your, <laughs> from your personal side, when did you first meet Jonathan? So I first came in 2009. And actually, I didn't even know that Jonathan existed on the island. I was unaware of the fact that they had this ancient tortoise. Um, along with his companions that live at uh, Plantation House, the seat of the governor, which is a magnificent old Georgian building. Um, and then from then, 2009, I came initially to train para-veterinarians because there was no permanent vet. 
And I realized, of course, that I had to take on the task of assessing giant tortoises. And I dealt with um, the small Mediterranean type tortoises in the UK quite a lot. Uh, so I researched them and I studied Jonathan and looked to their needs and we improved their habitat. Fabulous, fabulous. And now um, just tell us a bit about Jonathan as a, I mean, obviously he's a, he's a tortoise, <laughs> he's a, but he's a giant tortoise. Does he yes. have, you know, does he, I know he's getting on a bit now, <laughs> but does he, what, you know, what, has he got a bit of a character as well? Oh yeah, definitely. There, there are two tortoises of that size. We've got four there altogether. When I approach him in the paddock with the food, uh, because he can't really see me. But he often pricks up his ears, which <laughs> a tortoise can't do. Um, I say, Jonathan, 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 like that. And and then he starts uh, mouthing the air for food. I mean, she's <laughs> biting the air, actually. Yes. <laughs> David, the other one, is about 52, and he's aggressive, and grumpy, and greedy. Whereas Jonathan is just a gentleman of a beast. He's charming and uh, you know, very uh, gentle and sedate, of course, at his age. And um, he, he loves human company. Whereas David will march over and try and crush or cover the bucket of food that you have. Literally, he'll hurl his whole 200 kilogram body on top of your bucket if you're not careful. Hurl might be a funny word for a tortoise, but no, it isn't. These things can move. Um, whereas Jonathan, um, he, he knows my voice. He starts mouthing the air to try and bite the food because he can't see and um he's, he loves having his neck cuddled believe it or not which is a very very long neck designed and evolved for reaching up into trees so i think it's probably the warmth of our arms but he loves stretching his neck out full length which would be two and a half feet i think something like that pretty long and resting it along your arm while you stroke him oh um well Tell us a little bit about you. You're talking about the size because I think most of us do think of just tortoises being quite small, don't we? So when you say a giant tortoise, yes. how big? How actual? How big is he? Well, he's he's about two hundred kilos, um, so pretty vast. I think I'm right in saying the Galapagos tortoises are slightly bigger. So these are Indian Ocean tortoises, and those are the two big family groups of giant tortoises around the world. So two hundred kilo beast. Um, he's uh, what could you? Uh, equate him to he's like a, a fairly sizable pram perhaps a pram for twins <laughs> something like that so quite a big creature quite a big creature and you said you said earlier on that you know that they, they hurl themselves around kind of thing you know we again we have an impression don't we of a tortoise being very very slow obviously jonathan will be slower than some because he's 190 years old but but what what you know is that a bit of a fallacy that you know tortoises can move quite quickly yeah well, it's the classic Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare. I think, you know, one minute they're in the middle of the paddock and next minute they're beside you asking for food. Um, but David in particular, he has a fast march. And, and this hurling thing, well, they, they use a ramming technique, which you have to be very careful about because it's violent, where they swivel their legs and their legs are very similar to elephant legs. They're tr trunks, really solid pillars. So they rotate their whole body on the legs to ram. And that is a very violent thing indeed. So I have to be very careful when I'm feeding Jonathan that David isn't around because he'll ram Jonathan very hard and um, almost upturn him. And I believe in the wild sometimes when fighting, 
uh, they will turn each other over. And of course, that kills them usually. Now, he's obviously 190 years old, so he is a pensioner by a, by a, long, by a long, yes. long way. I know that I know that tortoises can, you know, do live quite, on average, quite long anyway, don't they? They do. They do indeed. I mean, even the small tortoises, I think you'll hear of people having them 60 or 70 years of age. Uh, the life expectancy of uh, these uh, Indian Ocean tortoises is, is, is about 150 years. And we, what we know is that he was landed in 1882, uh, fully grown, and that is about 50 years of age. And David's just gone to demonstrate this nicely because he's 52. And since I've been here, he's grown a couple of inches more. He was smaller than Jonathan, now he's slightly bigger, but he seems to have stopped. Um, so we take that date as 50 years of age, and that's how we calculate 190. But of course, in truth, maybe he's a couple of years less, not much. But in truth, he could be a lot older, but we just can't say. I mean, he could be 210. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. And of course, um, he's seen a lot of history in that part of the world, hasn't he? I mean, you know, um, there's a lot gone on in 200 years. <laughs> um, Phenomenal. He, yeah, absolutely. He, you know, he, survived, he survived it all. And I suppose in a way... He, he, you know, he's gone through different incarnations of the kind of sort of uh, support that he gets as well from the from humans, because it would have been a lot different uh, 190 years ago, wouldn't it? Very different, actually. And uh, I know there are stories about how they were allowed to roam, because, of course, there were no cars on the road. The, the island was mainly run by donkeys, and mules and horses. Um, and the islanders couldn't afford cars, of course. So the island's come a long way in the last 50 to 100 years are much further than the UK because it had to come from a from a, a more distant point of poverty. Um, so um, he used to go up to Bishop's Holm, which is the bishop's uh, residence, um, a few hundred yards up the road to raid the pear uh, and apple orchard when the fruits were dropping, apparently. And an old gardener told me they used to get a large bamboo stick and have to lever him back down the road to get him home again. Um, so they used to wander. Uh, but now they're confined to the paddock, obviously, because uh, the roads are busy and a lot of people have four tracks. So um, it just can't happen anymore. But you're right. He's, he's iconic. He's symbolic of, of resilience and, and longevity and persistence. And, you know, he's a sort of rock of steadiness in a sea of change. And he's seen, you know, literally kings and queens come and go and uh, plagues, of course, come and go and nations even come and go he's, he's quite a remarkable beast and he's indifferent to it all <laughs> yeah it'd be quite interesting it'd be quite interesting if he could speak wouldn't it to tell us what he thinks of it all <laughs> um, oh my goodness i mean yes the pictures he must have seen of, of, of victorian the, the island in colonial times for example would be extraordinary and of course he's, he's mixed in these sort of quite important circles so will he have met quite important people will he have met royalty and whatever in the past do you think Yes, he has met royalty. He's met, uh, I think it was the Queen and Duke of Edinburgh. There's a classic picture, in fact. And um, every time we get something like the Queen's baton, um, he poses with it. <laughs> um, and uh, we've had a few heads of state here as well. The most recent one being um, the president of Angola, funny enough, in Africa. Um, and they all go and meet Jonathan the tortoise in the paddock. So... Uh, yeah, he's 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 met many many more celebrities over a longer time period than I imagine um, any other animal on the world in, on the planet. Yeah, and he's a bit of a celebrity in, in his own right. 
Queen's just celebrated her platinum jubilee this is year. Is it platinum, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. So the Queen is obviously head of state there, isn't she? Um, where you are. And, That's right. Um, and she's obviously still head of state in 15, well, she's Queen in 15 other countries as well, isn't she? So um, it's it's quite interesting. So obviously she's 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 getting on a bit now, so I doubt she'll be visiting um, the island. But, um, <laughs> I'm sure. So I'm sure one of the other royals will at, at some point. Before we talk a little bit about his um, his sexual antics, as it were, because this is bisexual brunch, we're interested in that, just the sexuality side of it yeah. a little bit. What about his health now? I mean, I would say his inner health is extremely good. Um, he's got cataracts, which is really just an aging process of the lenses, and uh, his sense of smell appears to be non-existent. Uh, but his hearing is fantastic, and, and you know, in humans, if you think about it, it tends to be our hearing that goes. Um, but nothing wrong with his hearing at all. Um, but, you know, his appetite is voracious. When I first came, to be honest, he was a bit run down. And uh, his beak, we call it a beak, like as in birds, uh, was blunt and crumbly. And if you look at the other ones, they're, they're actually razor sharp. And they've got grooves in, in, in the beak, which therefore, where they wear at the edge, form little cutting scythes. And so they can just scythe the grass. And I, I saw in 2009 that he was tugging at grass, he was chewing at soil and dead leaves and so on. And I just assumed that was it. So I started hand feeding him once a week. And I can't really claim credit for this. It's more by luck than anything else, but it transformed him, it rejuvenated him. And of course, one realizes then that he was suffering from mineral, vitamin and trace element deficiencies, as well as calories. Um, his beak regrew. He put on weight, he became more active. So um, now we have to course continue with that. We can't stop. So, yes, a few things missing, but internally doing very well. But then, of course, he could die tomorrow. You never quite know. Obviously, you say he eats the, you know, the various natural things that he would eat. But is there something, you know, is there a, is there a particular perfect diet for a tortoise? Well, in truth, they they come from a pretty harsh environment in the Indian Ocean. Most of them are from Al, the, the Aldabra Atoll. So you have to think in terms of low-lying, uh, a salty environment, mangrove swamps, sandy beaches, and scrub. And that's what they would eat, scrub, which is why they've got the long necks. So, you know, they're pretty tough, really. But then, of course, animals in captivity do tend to live longer than animals in the wild. And one of the reasons, I think, is that we can make sure they've got a good diet. Now, the only trouble with confining tortoises to a paddock is it does restrict the, the range of food. Um, they mainly eat grass and some of the scrub there and uh, things like nasturtiums they love, um, which grow there. We've got a couple of fruit trees in there, uh, loquat and Brazilian guava, quite exotic. Um, and they shed their fruits and they love those. And they do seem to know what they like. So I, I have a bucket of food that's normally a mixture of different fruits and lettuce and cabbage. And occasionally I'm given kale as well by the, um, the uh, kitchen staff in plantation. And I can tell you they loathe kale. So do I. I don't blame them. <laughs> um, so I think with Jonathan, though, um, you know, this, this supplementation of uh, nutrient-rich foods, which also very high in vitamins, minerals and trace elements, has just made all the difference in the world. Fantastic. Now, you say that he, um, about his personality, so you've got this David. Do, do he and David live together? Yeah, they do. So we've got Jonathan and David, and we have Fred, who used to be Frederica. <laughs> um, Fred is a male, um, but for a long time he was identified as a female. 
and uh, Emma, uh, a lovely female tortoise, beautifully shaped. So uh, David and Jonathan, they sort of live reasonably amicably together, but um, I've had a couple of ramming incidents, which means that if I feed Jonathan, I make sure David's nowhere around. I don't, I don't really trust him not to injure Jonathan uh, for, for his greed, you know, for, his food, for the food. You say his hearing's good. Does he, obviously, you know, that's his main sensory and sense, and I suppose now, obviously taste as well. But so with humans, he knows yes. when you're, he knows when you're coming. Does he, does he react to things like, I know, people's, people's voices or music or different sounds? Very much. He really does enjoy human company. And almost inevitably, he, he responds to my voice um, very well. Uh, I can make him sort of, follow like a dog if we need to move him out into the sunlight for photographs or something um but I, I i don't kid myself it's a pavlovian response because i feed him but also you'll be amused to hear there's a tennis court in the paddock and if people go and play tennis he loves the plop plop of the ball so he'll go up to the um the fencing of the tennis court uh, like a spectator staring in and watching people but he can't see uh, listening to the tennis ball as it goes from one end to the other <laughs> so sexuality then obviously uh, we're interested in that because we're 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 a podcast which um is all about um bisexuality generally so well i mean i'm just thinking 190 years old uh, we think has he sired quite a lot of children no he hasn't uh, the the one drawback of where they are and i can't do anything about it it's, it's not really the right habitat it's okay in summer like now it's really nice and warm um, but of course, there's no beach there uh, for the female to lay eggs. We, we tried to create one. Uh, we, we dug a massive pit and we dredged a whole lot of sand out from the sea because we actually have no sandy beaches, believe it or not. Um, and the tortoises steadfastly just ignore it completely and make their own pits. So the female Emma has laid some eggs there, but she's laid them in the mud or the earth and crushed them. Um, so unfortunately, that side of things has been a dead end, which is a pity. So why do we think he's bisexual? You know, has he sort of, is it, does he seem to have, you know, I mean, have we, have we sort of seen him uh, being affectionate or, you know, having relations of some kind with both uh, female and male tortoises? Is that, is that the history over time? Yeah, no, it's a good question because I think, you know, if you think about it really, I think it's only us or some humans that have a hang up about sexuality. Um, because the, the beasts in the field um, don't. And, um, uh, you know, we do, for example, artificial insemination in cows here. And how do we spot a cow in heat? We spot a cow in heat when one cow rides another one, uh, particularly standing heat, which is when the, the cow that's in heat is underneath the cow that's riding her. And, and then she'll swap round. Uh, and, and likewise, everybody knows the dog that, you know, humps your leg and then goes, <laughs> humps the cushions as well on the sofa. So to answer your question, um, I think the tortoises are happy to take what they can get. I think there probably is a, a sort of pheromonal element because Emma, the little tortoise there, is, um, receives constant attentions from David. Uh, she sometimes looks a bit fed up with it because she's about a third of his size. <laughs> so she gets a bit pinned down. Um, and Jonathan, he used to have uh, a bit of activity with uh, Fred, which was Frederica. 
So this is where, you know, the, um, the story, I think, has got around that Jonathan is bisexual. But actually, I think they're a little bit indifferent. They get what they can take, really, to be honest. So, I mean, Fred, as far as Fred's concerned, I was quite aware that she was a male um, some years ago because there's an interesting difference. The males have a concave plastron. The plastron's the underside, the plate on the underside. So, in other words, it's, it's um, sunken in. For the obvious reason that to ride the female, if they were flat there, they would skid off all the time. It's just geometry, really. Uh, they also have a longer tail, which has got a big hook on it, which helps stabilize them. So quite, quite easy to tell, really. Whereas the females are flat on the underside. Um, so Jonathan, he's eased off quite a lot. What I would say say honestly now is he's a bit of a pipe and slippers tortoise now he's, <laughs> he's he's sort of just happy and content to potter around and graze the paddock he used to show a bit of activity david is 52 and that he's at the peak of his powers and uh, he's always at emma as i say and sometimes has a go at fred as well although um i never think fred is particularly uh, amused though that's the only <laughs> thing <laughs> it's sort of it's just it's just because in the human world we 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 like to make we we love binaries, don't we? Certainly these days, everyone everything's about we do you know yes. black and white, good and bad, whatever it may be. It's sort of a binary kind of existence, isn't it? Um, so what what's he like in terms of? I mean, obviously there's the sexual side, and you know animals yeah do that and do can do it quite aggressively and whatever. But does he have a sort of affectionate relationship with his other tortoises as well? Yeah, you know, I, I I've always tried to work that out myself because. Sometimes I go up there and they're all grouped together as if they're having a conference. Um, and certainly David and Jonathan, the two big ones, uh, are often together side by side. So I do think there's some communication there, really. But I guess also it's all a bit cold-blooded because certainly, as I say, when I get the food out, it's, um, it's a different story altogether. And you'll notice in particular David being dominant. The others are quite uh, wary of him. Um, and they've got this thing where if you startle them, the, uh, the head, of course, and, and the legs to a degree, but mainly the head will disappear inside the shell. Yeah. And I think that's because of the ramming that they do. And that's where Jonathan's at danger because he can't see. I've had just one incident where... David was nearby and he rammed Jonathan because I was trying to feed Jonathan and it, Jonathan didn't see him coming. And so his neck was out fully stretched. Yes. And if David had struck him um, straight on, it would have crushed his neck into horribly. Oh, it would have killed him. Awful, yeah. And fortunately it struck him sideways and it actually jerked the whole 200 kilos of tortoise up in the air. And I was so horrified that I learned from that, of course. And, um, uh, sometimes David is with Jonathan, but he's, he's, he's so greedy that what I can do is lay a trail of lettuce leaves way out into the paddock or walk <laughs> somewhere with the, button, the bucket in front of him. And he marches towards me, but I'm walking backwards. He doesn't really realize that. And then um, leave him some food to feed while I do Jonathan. So, yeah, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it's that amicable, their relationship, but it's certainly an acknowledgement. And like chickens, I think they have a hen pecking order. Obviously, he's got these cataracts. Is it, can you do anything about those or is it, is it not worth doing anything about those now? Yeah, that's a spot on question, actually, because you're right. He's, uh, he's probably got partial sight in his left eye, but very little, I think. He really can't see where the food is at all. So I direct the food into his mouth and he bites the air, as I said. Um, 
Uh, so <laughs> I wear welder's gloves, by the way. I have to, otherwise I'd lose my fingertips. Very, very sharp uh, beat now. Yeah, to answer your question, really, he, um, we've been approached a couple of times by ophthalm ophthalmologists who have offered to remove his cataracts. And as you know, the first rule of medicine is do no harm. Mm. He doesn't drive. He doesn't read books. He's perfectly content. And the cataracts aren't, aren't painful. There's no inflammation or discharge involved at all. And I have absolutely put my foot down and said no. And in fact, one ophthalmologist said he would bring his TV crew with him. And you can see it was more of an ego trip. And, you know, if something like that goes wrong, it goes badly wrong. And you've done the tortoise no favours whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just wondered slightly, though, whether or not, if he did get his eyesight back, whether whether he'd, you know, he'd have a new lease of life, as it were. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Although tortoises are interesting because the giant tortoises are subject to a great deal of research. They don't really age like we do. Mm. They wear out. So things like cataracts or kidney stones um, or cracks in the shell, that can happen as well because it's worn out. And, uh, and that's literally true. They're very... Um, resistant to cancers and so a lot of research is going on into their genomes to determine why we're so bad at that and why they're so good at it and they've discovered that tortoises have a, a whole range of extra if you like immune surveillance systems that prevent the mutation of cells that ultimately form cancers um, so Jonathan's DNA we've sent to America actually where they're researching this at the a uh, place called the Vanderbilt uh, Medical uh, Research Institute, who developed the Moderna vaccine, actually, um, financed by Dolly Parton. Okay. And they're based in Nashville, Tennessee. So it's quite amusing, really. But I'm a really good bunch of guys. Um, so, so Jonathan's actually providing a lot of very nice research material into uh, prevention of cancer at the moment. Fabulous, fabulous. So 190, we think roughly... He was born 190 years ago. We're not quite sure. So what year, when would that be? 190 years ago, what we're talking about? Um, yeah, 1832. An awful long time ago. He would have hatched, hatched somewhere in a sandy beach, somewhere over in the uh, Indian, Indian Ocean. Mind boggles in terms of what, he does. what, 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 he's, what, he's, what he's been through. Um, fantastic. Joe, lovely to talk to you. Say hello to, to him when, when you next see him. I don't know. Have you, have you seen him today? Uh, not today. Yesterday, though. Right, okay. And he was in a good mood, was he? Good spirits? I, he was in a splendid mood. I fed him a cucumber. He was very happy. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. Do people, when they come to the island, actually search him out? Do you get people trying to find out where he is? Very much. They love him. They really do. It's one of the great attractions. It's interesting, isn't it? People love animals and animal stories. Um, and in fact, because of that, we had to put a corridor in it sounds a bit unpleasant, but it's actually very nice. A walkway at the base of the paddock. Because the, there was a, we didn't have an airport. We were only joined to the world by a ship. And then we built an airport, uh, thanks to the UK government, just a few years ago. And they were working towards 30,000 tourists a year over 10 years. Now, that's 600 a week. So, actually, you can imagine 600 people going in and um, sitting on Jonathan and pulling him about would be you know, just intolerable. So we couldn't have that happen. And we had incidents with cruise ship passengers who came here as well, despite us trying to control them, um, you know, actually literally sitting on him and trying to get that picture with the oldest known living land animal. And it was just not on at all. You know, he, he, he is number one. We protect him first. So, but it's a, it's a lovely sort of corridor 
corridor uh, at the base of the paddock where people get a beautiful view of Plantation House, this big Georgian edifice. It's like a massive wedding cake, really, um, in pistachio green. And uh, all the tortoises in front. And Jonathan will often go up to them because he does like the sound of human voices. Um, so they still get a good, good picture. He laps it up. He's, he's, and it's amazing. If we have photo shoots or anything, don't ask me why, but he poses. I mean, almost always we get some really nice shots of him. Um, Joe, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you and to hear about um, uh, about Jonathan. Uh, the only thing I'm a bit disappointed in is the fact that he hasn't. Uh, we don't think he's got any offspring. That's that's quite quite sad. I know. Yeah, it is quite sad, isn't it? Actually, yes, that's right. I know, but I'm, I'm not sure. I, they're probably a bit negligent anyway, to be honest. You know, because I imagine it's the same for tortoises. But um, we, uh, I know the turtles very well, nesting in the beaches, and of course they plant their eggs go away and that's it yeah there's no there's no parenting at all <laughs> and when those eggs hatch they live or die you know they're uh, in the wild they're subject to attack by um uh the seabirds um certainly um uh, so you know there's no parenting <laughs> so i don't think jonathan's too upset really all he wants is all he did want was to you know to get his way and have a nice time Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, thank you very much indeed. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks a lot, Ashley. No, that's great. Thank you. So there we go. Jonathan, the blind tortoise in St Helena, um, who is still going strong, still enjoying himself, um, in a little bit of danger from a rather um, younger 52-year-old randy male tortoise who is always having a go at other tortoises. And unfortunately... Um, uh, they have to take care of Jonathan, as we heard there, because um, this other tortoise can sort of um, jump on him and he nearly broke his neck at one point. So um, oh, they've, got to be really, they've got to be really, really careful with, with, with Jonathan because obviously he is, he is old. Um, but, and he's a celebrity and, and he's, he's a, earned his stripes. So it, people should be very uh, honoured to get... It, it, or, it, tortoises should be very honoured to get an audience with him. Absolutely. Let alone a shag out of him. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> But he is still doing little bits now and again. But as you heard there, he's a bit more pipe and slippers now than, than he used to be. Yeah, but, and that's uh, fine. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Speak for yourself. But what I, find, <laughs> what I find amazing about the whole thing is, well, first of all, you know, it's the animal kingdom. They're not bothered about sexuality. They just get on with it. You know, the if, they, if they fancy fucking you, they <laughs> exactly, fuck you. Exactly, um, But also... By the, the way, my dog, I have to say, my yeah. dog, me and my husband were having a discussion about whether Herbie is what sexual orientation Herbie is because our friend's dog Frank came for brunch last weekend okay. and Herbie was 69ing him like wildly in oh the garden God. humping his face <laughs> humping his face he got the he got the wrong end and well not the wrong end actually why am I saying that not the wrong end he was having a great old time and we were all having a good old giggle about it and then afterwards I looked at him I was like yeah you're definitely a, my dog <laughs> oh that's beautiful <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. What was I going to say? I was going to say you've distracted me. I was going to say something about yeah, you threw that shot. Tortoise. About the tortoise now. But the other, but I mean, the, the amazing thing is, is what he's seen. I mean, he was basically roughly, they think, born in about eighteen thirty-two or something. That is so wild he's, when you think about it. He's met so many members of the royal family over the years, and um, you know, kings and queens and whatever. I you know, am obsessed with Jonathan. I really think we could. We need to box pop with Jonathan. We need to, get, we need to get some Jonathan noises. Honestly, I just want to hear 
Here is words of wisdom. (laughs) What's the life expectancy? About 150 years. But they can go on much longer. Um, The secret. The secret to you being cryogenically refrozen is with Jonathan, I think. Well, funnily enough... Jonathan's DNA is, like, going to be what we use. Yes. So that's that's Jonathan. The last time uh, the vet went to see him, he was he was busy chewing a cucumber. <laughs> of course he <laughs> of was. Course, of course. Try with an aubergine. Something you want to know? Why not ask a bisexual? Okay then, guys. This uh, time's question is from Wayne in Norwich in England, and uh, he says, as progressive bisexuals. He's worked that one out. We're quite progressive. Um, what do you think about the terms husband and wife? Are they outdated? Now, every time... Now, this sounds really bizarre, Nikki, but every time you say my husband... It sounds very weird. I find it? it really weird. And I, that, and I wouldn't normally say that because if I hear most women who say my husband, I don't think it's weird. But with you, I do. Because I think to myself, <laughs> she's 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 adopted this straight world, and she's calling him her husband. You know what I mean? And but I, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's clear I, take I, back. I, I love referring to Ferdy as my husband. I, also, when we first got married, the thrill of being able to say I've got a husband was just so exciting. I find it really sexy, actually. And also because I never expected to get married, so I like saying my husband, my husband. And at work, I talk about my husband, and they all giggle because none of them have got. spouses and they're all very queer too and they just think it very funny that I use this term but I've kind of like taken it back because I think you know I'm very affectionate about it and it makes me I feel very you know our relationship is very precious to me and I'm married I take our marriage very seriously and I'm very happy to be married so yes maybe it is is it appropriating a straight term no it's just me going back in with saying you can be queer as fuck and still have a husband yeah I I just we, we find it me and my partner find it odd in the sense that we find it's not odd we don't find it odd in the sense, you know, people could call themselves what they want to call themselves. But we, when we hear friends of ours and, and other celebrities and people talking about, in gay relationships, talking about husbands or wives, depending on, you know, whether in a lesbian relationship or a gay relationship, we find, we have to, we still sort of, we find it strange. We just, we, we think to ourselves, why did it, you know, husband and husband, wife and wife, it's like, well, can't we find some other terms? We, do, we just don't, we don't, we don't warm to it. We would never call ourselves husband and husband. Uh, we just call ourselves part, you know, partners or boyfriends or whatever. Um, I'm nothing, and I've got nothing wrong with with any of it at all. I've no problem. But it's just it's what you feel comfortable with. And I just find, I find the husband term. My partner often says it always makes him think of husbandry. <laughs> I don't know, always, just, I don't know <laughs> which why. is a great idea, by the way, for husbands. Um, well, it's funny because we have a joke called Wife Wednesday in this house. Everybody who knows me knows I hate cooking. I mean, despise it. I would rather clean the bathroom with a toothbrush in my mouth than, uh, you know, with actually a toothbrush as a mechanism of cleaning the bathroom, uh, than cook. But Wife Wednesdays is when I have to pull something out of the bag and cook for my husband. And it's just so, it's comical and it's meant to be a, you know, take, a piss take of like 50s house whiffery because I am just not that woman, but... Please, but can actually, you be there and send us like a picture of you in oh, one of those old-fashioned dresses, yes. the apron, and a pinny, and, and a, a pinny. Like, please, I would. I, I definitely I would could so do funny. the hair. I love those curls, but like, but when I've missed Wife Wednesdays, my husband has texted me and said, "You're out drinking, and it's Wife Wednesdays. What, what are you doing?" You know, so he, he's quite attached to Wife Wednesdays as well. He so like, what, he, so what's, your, what's your speciality on a Wife Wednesday? I can do a good no, I can do a good bolognese from scratch. That's my one thing that I can do. 
I can't scramble eggs. Can someone teach me? I, can I shouldn't you. really be allowed to have bisexual brunch, should I, if I can't make my own eggs? Can anyone email in with instructions to sort Nikki's <laughs> egg scrambling out, please? Yeah. What do you call your partner and what does she call you, Lewis? Um, I actually, I mean, kind of like in a jokey term, I call her the missus. Like, that's what she saved as in my phone. But then I came up with little term names for everyone I've dated. So I don't know on this one. I kind of like, you can just read the Daily Mail article now, can't you? Like, oh, bisexual podcasters discuss banning husband and wife as a term's not <laughs> yeah. progressive enough. So I do think it's one of those things where I'm like, there's hills to die on that, ain't it? Like, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> there's so much to, to talk about that, and do. With bisexuality. Oh I, I like love that you just said that. But also, Lewis, you're engaged, aren't you? So yeah. how how do you think it will change when you and Laura are married? I'll definitely call her my wife. Yeah. Um like here's the thing. There is always gonna be this toss up when you're in when you're a bisexual person dating a straight person that you kind of have to coexist. Like I exist in the queer world and she exists in the straight world and we have we find those points of entry where we mix and sometimes She'll have to embrace stuff from my culture and sometimes I'll embrace things from hers. Basically, like, I just think, like, when we're married, I will call her my wife. Like, of course yeah. I will. Um, and it won't feel to me like, oh, you've adopted the straight culture. It's just like, well, that's just what I would call her and she'll call me her husband. It's just not a big deal to me, to be honest. Um, I think yeah. for me, for me, and I suppose for my partner as well, it's, it's more to do with, um, and it's nothing to do with being straight or gay or whatever really it's more to do with the terms feel like ownership if you know what I mean yes yes and, and they're very conventionally and it, for, for my, yeah for my, my view is always and obviously a lot a lot of it is wrapped up obviously in often in religion but it can also be wrapped up in the legal status in this in in the country where you've got to you know you have to register yourselves as married because in order to have certain rights I mean obviously you can do things in different ways now we know that but um but it's that ownership thing, really. It's that for, for me, if you, if two people are going to stay together, they'll stay together anyway, regardless of, of of marriage vows and regardless of you know churches and regardless of bits of paper and whatever. I think it's I think that's what it is. It's more that that, that husband and wife feels like it's saying you 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 own somebody, and as far totally. as we're concerned, nobody owns us. You know what I mean? In that sense. I think what the way I probably can relate to this, if I'm being honest. So when um, I started dating, if Laura... I'm being honest, oh now it's coming out. You've just decided to be honest with us. Okay, <laughs> go on. Well, it's something I can relate to in in a different sense, right? So when I first started dating Laura and eventually met Jamie, and it was like, okay, like I'm going to be a parental figure to him. Um, I it was about what what should he call you? Um, so obviously it was like don't call me dad because I'm not and you have a dad and that's going to be offensive. I really didn't want to be called stepdad because I just thought, thought like Disney has just destroyed what step parents should be. It's like, I'll be evil and keep them in a, in a cupboard. So I was like, you can't call me dad. You can't call me stepdad. And we came up with mod for the first couple of years and mod stood for my other dad. And it was something that Ashton Clutcher used with his stepkids. Um, that I was is like, so cute. I love so he, I've got like cards where he's written like to mod on it. Like he, he doesn't really Adorable. use it so much anymore. Uh, he just calls me Lewis now. But like that was a that <laughs> was a, so so I get it. Like so I would say to anyone out there that doesn't like using wife or husband, don't use it. Come up with your own cute little terms. But I don't think society is going to abandon those terms anytime soon. Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say. 
for the attention of Bisexual Brunch, and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy, they won't bite. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. Good stuff, right? Brilliant. I think we're done. That was so fun. That was a great show, guys. That was a really good one. I was like going down the list of things we talked about. I was like, oh no, it's going to be over soon. Can I just say, I mean, it's been a while since we've recorded one of these. And every time I speak to you guys, I really hope the listeners feel the same way. I feel so energized. Like I've been like throughout this whole conversation, been like, <gasps> like writing down ideas for articles and things to pitch. I've got to go and write all this up and get on with it. Like I, I really feel quite inspired when we get together. I feel really comfortable with us guys Aww. when we're just like Aww. chatting about I, this. I mean, I need another three coffees, but yeah, I do also <laughs> feel better than I did. And this is even with e- this yeah. is even with even with Nikki in a dressing gown. You're okay. And a crazy still hangover. <laughs> I, my hangover has been eased by you two, so Yay. that's good. This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.